Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please feel free to leave a comment and be sure to join our group on Facebook. Now relax and enjoy the show. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, written by Al Lewis. Well, most of us have our good days and our bad days. And Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, is no exception to this rule. They say there are days when it doesn't pay you to get out of bed. Well, last Friday, when my rent was due, was just such a day for my landlady, Mrs. Davis. I brought the subject up as soon as we had started to eat breakfast. I'm terribly sorry, Mrs. Davis, but I'm afraid I have some bad news for you. It's about the rent. You mean last month's rent? You haven't got it yet? I mean this month's rent. I haven't got it again. (laughs) Well, don't worry about it, dear. How does that old joke go again? There's no sense in both of us worrying. (laughs) What am I laughing about? I'm broker than you are. (laughs) Maybe so, Mrs. Davis, but you don't owe you as much as I do. But all hope isn't lost, though. I found out this week that I still have a chance to become head of Madison's English department. Really? Yes. In fact, I'm supposed to have a meeting with Mr. Stone of the Board of Education this morning. Where, Connie? In the office of our beloved principal, Mr. Conklin. I see. Do you think Mr. Conklin will put in a word for you? That's why I want to get there early. I think I know the word. <laughs> Actually, though, I'm, I'm not too worried about Mr. Conklin's attitude toward my teaching ability. Is it up to Mr. Stone to make the recommendation for Madison's new head of the English department? Yes, it is. And I understand that he won't recommend any promotions without a personal interview. That's why I asked Walter Denton to pick me up a little earlier this morning. He'll be here, Connie. And I know you'll get the position. I hope so, Mrs. Davis. You see, it isn't just the honor involved. It's the cash. The promotion carries a raise with it. Just think, I'll be able to pay you back the rent I owe, buy some new clothes, do my Christmas shopping, pick up a new winter coat, maybe even put a down payment on a car. Oh, that's wonderful, Connie. How much of a raise goes with this job? Two dollars a month. (laughs) Or maybe it's two dollars a week. Come to think of it, I might have to wait a while for the car. Well, I'm very excited for you, Connie. I only wish we could celebrate with a little more luxurious breakfast. Toast and marmalade isn't very gala. Oh, I don't know. And there's not much of that, I'm sorry to say. I tried to call the market this morning, but our party line was in use. In fact, it's almost always in use. Yes, I know. Every it's some time... woman named Grace, and she's always talking to a friend of hers named Bertha. It's so frustrating sometimes when you want to make a call, and every time you pick up the phone, someone's talking. I know. I and try to get in <laughs> The things they were talking about were of any importance. They just go on and on and on and on. Mrs. Davis, they I They never really... give anybody a chance <laughs> You'd think they'd get the idea, though, after hearing my receiver click a few times. Mrs. Davis, but I would no, like to say... no, <laughs> They just go on chattering about nothing. Yuckety, yuckety, yuckety. Honestly, sometimes I could Mrs. Just... Davis! 
Yes, Connie. Deposit five cents for another three minutes, please. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, dear. I guess I got carried away. <laughs> Have some more coffee. Thanks, I will. Here's my cup. I wonder what's keeping Walter Denton. My interview with Mr. Stone's at nine sharp. Well, it isn't 8.30 yet, Connie. But if it'll make you feel any better, why don't you give Walter a ring? Good idea. Excuse me. Believe me, Bertha, I'm not petty. But when Elsie pulled that stuff on me about the tickets, I just had to open up my yap and let her have it. It's the party line again. Wouldn't you know it? Just when I have to make a quick call. I'll count ten and try again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Eleven, twelve, even fifteen dollars would be all right. Daddy, <laughs> she come off with that twenty bucks a couple baloney. Oh, this is awful. Now, take it easy, Connie. I'm sure Walter will get you to school in plenty of time for your appointment. Now, I'm going to wash the dishes here. Why don't you put your hat and coat on and be all ready to leave? All right, Mrs. Davis, but first I'm going to try this phone once more. So I told her, Bertha. Listen, Elsie, I said, it isn't like us and I don't want to do our full share, I said. We know this is a benefit performance and that it's a good cause, but we weren't born yesterday, I told her. One, two, three, four. I can't understand why Walter Denton isn't here yet, Connie. It's almost ten minutes to nine. Too late to take a bus. It was too late to take the bus half an hour ago. I'd take a cab if I had the money. Or if you had the money. Have you, Mrs. Davis? Don't bother answering. I can tell by your face. Of course, it only takes ten minutes to drive to school the way Walter drives, but if he doesn't show up within a minute or two, I'd better call Mr. Conklin and tell him I'll be a little late. Then when I'm all ready to forgive and forget, Bertha, what do you think Elsie has the nerve to say to me? Will you please stop talking for just a minute? Exactly, Bertha. Will you please stop, <laughs> please stop talking for just a minute, she said. You enter the front door, Connie. I'm stacking the dishes. All right, Mrs. Davis. Hang on a minute, will you, Bertha? I think I hear my doorbell ringing. Oh. It's not your doorbell that's ringing. It's... Oh, what's the use? Well, it's about time. Oh, it's Harriet Conklin. Come in, Harriet. Thanks, Miss Brooks. What are you doing at home, Miss Brooks? You should be on your way to school by now. So should you, Harriet. I know it, but Daddy left the house early this morning and asked me to be sure and see that you got to school on time. So I called Walter Denton, and he said he'd pick me up on his way over to school to pick you up. But then he called back and said his car had broken down, and he had to walk to school, and when he tried to phone you, all he kept getting was a busy signal. So I took the bus over here to tell you, and now we're both going to be late, and Daddy will have our scalp because Mr. Stone is waiting to see you, too. If that sentence doesn't win this year's Nobel Prize for Literature, you've been cheated. <laughs> Please, Miss Brooks, you've got to call Daddy right away. I've tried to, Harriet, but we've got a party line and their phone's been in use all morning. That's why Walter got a busy signal when he called. Then I'll give it another whirl. So we took the tickets, Bertha. After all, why be small for the sake of a few dollars? If Elsie wants to be that way, that's her business. Grace Gibble is different. Even if this weren't raffling off at you, Hudson, I'd rather be open and above board than do anything else. Except talk. Oh, hang on a few minutes, will you, Bertha? I have to put up my pot roast now. Gus likes it at least once a week. Tonight's the night. Hang on. Just a minute. Please don't go away. I... Who's going away? I'll just sit and drink a Coke till you get the meat on, Grace. <laughs> Fine, honey. This way we'll keep... 
I'm on a party line, you know. And boy, can those people who share this phone with us shoot the breeze. Don't <laughs> just be a gif, dear. Okay, girl. Uh, oh, say, before you go, I'll give you a little tip. Have you got any bay leaves home? Yeah. You got a lot of bay leaves home? Yeah. Well, stick them in your mouth and jump in the stove with the pot roast. Come in. It's me, Mr. Conklin, Miss Brooks. Well, nice of you to drop in on us, Miss Brooks. Just happened to be in the neighborhood, did you? I know I'm late, Mr. Conklin, you but I... You had a nine o'clock appointment in this office with Mr. Stone. Do you know what time it is now, Miss Brooks? After 9.30? Yes, it is after 9.30. It's 10.40! <laughs> Please, Mr. Conklin, I can explain if you'll just let me. It's too I... late for explanation. Mr. Stone has left. But he'll be back, won't he? He hasn't decided on anyone else. Fortunately for you, Miss Brooks, Mr. Stone happens to be an extremely fair-minded individual. He's leaving for the state capitol at 7 o'clock this evening, but has promised to call you on the phone between 6 and 6.30. On the phone? Yes. <laughs> Confidentially, Miss Brooks, in spite of the steady stream of irritants with which you pepper my otherwise prosaic life, my integrity forced me to recommend you rather highly for this position. Oh, thank you, Mr. Conklin. I now, do Now, the important thing to Mr. Stone is the availability and cooperative spirit of the person he chooses. That is, if you're going to be head of a department, you'll probably want to know how accessible you can make yourself to the other teachers. He ought to talk to Mr. Boynton. I mean, uh... <laughs> it's, it's very nice of you to tell me all this, Mr. Conklin, but... If my getting this job depends on Mr. Stone reaching me on the phone tonight, I'm afraid I'm still out of the running. What do you mean? I'm on a party line that won't quit. They're constantly using the phone. He'll never get through to me. Then have your party line changed. Call the telephone company and tell them you want a different party line. What a wonderful suggestion, Mr. Conklin. I'll do it right after my last morning class. I'll call the phone company and ask for a new party line and a long cord. A long cord? What for? That's so if they don't give me the new party line, I can hang Grace and Bertha. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Now, proof that brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream helps stop tooth decay before it starts. Continuous research, hundreds of case histories, makes this the most conclusive proof in all dentifrice research on tooth decay. Eminent dental authorities supervised hundreds of college men and women for over two years. One group always brushed their teeth with Colgate right after eating. The other followed their usual dental care. The group using Colgate Dental Cream as directed, using Colgate's exclusively, showed a startling reduction in average number of cavities, far less tooth decay. The other group developed new cavities at a much higher rate. No other dentifrice offers proof of these results. Modern research indicates decay is caused by mouth acids, which are at their worst right after eating. Brushing teeth with Colgate's as directed helps remove acids before they harm enamel. Yes, Colgate's contains all the necessary ingredients, including an exclusive patented ingredient for effective daily dental care. So remember, always use Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. 
Well, when lunchtime rolled around, I called the telephone company and was quite chagrined to learn that they couldn't possibly change my party line by the same evening. So I determined to put into effect Plan X, which decoded meant Operation I'll Face the People and Ask Them to Keep Off the Line from 6 to 6.30. I told Walter Denton about my scheme when I ran into him in the school cafeteria. I can't tell you all the details, Walter, but it's absolutely essential that my phone is clear this evening. And there's only one way I can accomplish it. Will you help me? Now, as always, Miss Brooks, my sword, my heart, and my life are dedicated to your service. (laughs) Thanks, Walter. Now, pick up your jacket. I can step over that puddle of chicken broth. (laughs) Sit down here a minute, Walter, and I'll tell you what I'd like you to do for me. Okay, Miss Brooks. First of all, I looked up the address of my party line playmate, Grace Gribble, and I found out that it's quite a distance from my place. Hence, I'd appreciate a lift. Well, I'd be happy to supply the lift, Miss Brooks, but alas, my chariot is at present reposing endurance vile. Endurance vile? I lost up the carburetor. (laughs) I mean, the car's being repaired, Miss Brooks, and that's why I couldn't get you this morning. I hope you've forgiven me for that unseeming lapse. What did you have for lunch today, a Shakespeare burger? (laughs) Look, Walter... What's wrong with the car? I broke a little wire that's attached to the carburetor. Well, it shouldn't take too long to have another wire put in. No, but when the wire broke, it got tangled up in the fan belt and ripped it to pieces. Then all you need is a new wire and a fan belt. Not exactly. You see, when the fan belt hit the fan, it flew out of its socket. Then you need a new fan, too. Then when the fan flew into the radiator, the water (laughs) poured into the distributor and ruined it and the spark plugs. So all we need is a new fan belt, fan, radiator, distributor, and spark plug. And a new sign by the trolley tracks around the corner. (laughs) A new sign? That's what I smacked into when I busted that little wire. (laughs) I promised the officer I'd replace the sign. What did the sign say, Walter? Safety zone. (laughs) If I knew jujitsu, you'd be lying across that steam table by now. Look, I've got to get out to 145 Collier Drive today, Walter. That's where the Gribbles live. Have you any suggestions? Oh, sure. I happen to know that Mr. Boynton just got his car all fixed up. I was in the repair shop when he paid his bill. Mr. Boynton? That's right. So, why don't you ask him to drive you this afternoon? This way, you will not only get to your destination promptly, but both you and Mr. Boynton will be in the company of people who obviously mean much more to each other than shows on the surface so far. Kill me, I love this type of boy. Come in. Well, it's Miss Brooks. Come in. Thanks, Mr. Boynton. I'm glad I caught you before you left for the day. Oh, I was just tidying up the lab a bit. I've had quite a job cleaning my Bunsen burner. Oh, dirty flame? Something seems to be stuck here. There, there, it's out. Now, now what can I do for you, Miss Brooks? You can drive me out to Collier Avenue, Mr. Boynton, if you've got the time. You see, I'm expecting an important call from Mr. Stone around six this evening, and I've got to talk to the people who share the party line on my telephone. Oh, do you know them, Miss Brooks? Not personally, but they use the phone almost incessantly, and Mr. Stone wants to talk to me about my qualifications to head the English department. I just want to ask them to leave it free between six and 6.30. I see. Well, I'd certainly like to help you out, Miss Brooks, but frankly, I'm on a budget. 
I don't want you to buy me these people. <laughs> I just want a lift to their house. You don't understand. Collier Avenue is quite a way out, and I've had to limit my gas consumption. As I told you last night on the phone, if we go for a ride tonight through mm. the park, I won't be able to use the car again until Monday. But this is very important, Mr. Boynton. I just... So is self-discipline, Miss Brooks. It isn't just the money involved. Although I find by purchasing only three gallons a week instead of four, I save 83 cents a month. <laughs> Which... Add it up, and in a few years, it comes to a pretty penny. Believe me, Mr. Boynton, saving a pretty penny may be fun, but you can also get a kick out of spending an occasional ugly quarter. <laughs> if it's just a question of gas rationing, suppose I replace whatever gas is used up. Please, Miss Brooks, are you suggesting that I take money from a woman? No, gas. <laughs> no, no, it's out of the question. All right, then I'll let you pay for it. Well, that's not the solution either. It, it's a matter of principle with me. If I throw my budget out the window this time, I'll be tempted to do it again. A thing like that can become habit-forming. Don't you see, Miss Brooks, spending money is a disease. Well, don't make out your will yet. You'll never catch it. <laughs> Gee, Miss Brooks, you, you make me feel as if you think I'm cheap. Oh, not at all, Mr. Boynton. You're a very ready man with a budget. But don't worry about it. I'll get out there some way. I've still got my good right thumb and a pair of uncomfortable old shoes on my aching feet. Miss Brooks. Yes, Mr. Boynton? I've just been stalling. I'm flat broke. Welcome aboard. <laughs> you see, the truth of the matter is I spent my last $6 getting the car repaired, and I just haven't enough money to, to put any gas in this afternoon. But I'll tell you what, I'll borrow a couple of dollars from one of the other teachers. Now, don't you worry, I'll get you out there some way. If I've said it once, I've heard it a thousand times. There's no sense in both of us worrying. <laughs> well, here we are, Miss Brooks, 145 Collier Avenue. If you don't mind, I'll wait out here in the car while you talk to the Gribbles. All right, Mr. Boynton, I'll just be a few minutes. Yeah, come on. Oh, yes, ma'am. Mr. Gribble? Yes, ma'am? I'm Miss Brooks. I share the party line on your telephone with you. There's something I'd like to speak to you and Mrs. Gribble about. Oh, well, come in, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Right down here in the living room. Thank you. My wife will be out in a minute. She's on the telephone. <laughs> Naturally. I beg your pardon? Nothing, Mr. Gribble. You see, the reason I dropped over is to ask a little favor. I've always tried to be a good party line neighbor. Oh, so have we, Miss Brooks. I don't see any reason why people on a party line should get into hassles, do you? Well, I it... believe if you just respect one another's privacy, everything will work out fine. Well, the minute we pick up the receiver, if we hear another voice or somebody dialing, we hang right up. That's fine, Mr. Gribble. So do I, but <laughs> Mrs. Gribble is on the phone quite a bit, and tonight I'm expecting a terribly important call between 6 and 6.30, and I wonder if you could sort of keep off your phone until I've talked to my party. Oh, I don't see why we can't work something out. I'll talk to Grace about it right now. Pardon me just one minute. Oh, how Elsie is, Bertha. Some people you just can't reason hey, with. Grace, Grace, come here, man. I'm talking, Gus. I told Elsie, let sleeping dogs lay there, why don't you? But do you think she'd listen? Hey, Grace, we got company. Tell Bertha you'll talk to her later company? on. Company? 
Listen, Bertha, hang on, will you? I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Who is it, Gus? It's the young lady who shares our party line, Grace. Come on in, I'll introduce you. Miss Brooks, this is my wife, Grace. How do you do? How do, Miss Brooks? I'm sorry if I disturbed your conversation. Oh, that's all right. Bertha, don't mind hanging on. She waits for a half hour sometimes. She's very loyal that way. <laughs> Miss Brooks uh, wants to ask a favor, Grace, about the telephone. Oh, what is it? Well, I'm expecting a terribly important call tonight, Mrs. Gribble, between 6 and 6.30. From Mr. Boynton? Mr. Boynton? <laughs> <laughs> Why, no, but how, how did you... You and that Boynton. He ain't got much get-up-and-go in him, has he? <laughs> Please, Mrs. Gribble, I... I set for your ride around the park tonight? (laughs) The park? Well, how did you know that? Last week it was the zoo. This week it's the park. Doesn't he ever take you any place that costs money? Listen, Mrs. Gribble, Mr. Boynton isn't cheap. It's just that he's a schoolteacher, too, and, well, we enjoy going to the places we go to when we go to them. English teachers should talk better. Well, alone, Gus. She's a little excited. Listen, Miss Brooks, I think you're a very considerate person. Believe me, when you offered to chip in for the movies last Wednesday night, when Boynton said he was a little short, it was very touching. I was so thrilled, I almost hung up. <laughs> And I thought I was living alone. <laughs> well, that reminds me. How's Mrs. Davis? Mrs. Davis? That's some doctor she has. When she called him up with that sore throat last Monday, it didn't take 20 minutes and he was phoning his exchange from your place. I haven't seen Mrs. Davis since this morning, Mrs. Gribble. Tell me, how is she feeling today? <laughs> oh, she's 100% better. Good. <laughs> now, about the phone, I would like oh, to ask yeah, you... Oh, yeah, the phone. Oh, I better get back to Bertha. I want to tell her how good my pot roast turned out. She was kidding me about it this morning. Stick the bay leaves in my mouth, she says. <laughs> but Mrs. Gribble, about tonight. Mr. Gribble, I've just got to have a clear line on my phone this evening. Well, let's be honest, Miss Brooks. If you want a clear line on your phone ever, you better get another party to share it with. But I tried, Mr. Gribble. The phone company said they can't do anything about it right now. You didn't speak to the right people. My brother Bill works for the phone company. Bill Gribble. Yeah, talk to him. Tell him I sent you, and you'll get a new party line in a minute. Really, Mr. Gribble? Sure. Why, that's wonderful. But before I go, there's something else I'd like to ask you. Yes, ma'am? If you have a brother working at the telephone company, why can't you wangle yourself a private line? Well, confidentially, we like it better this way. Yeah, the party line's a great relaxation. You see, Miss Brooks, we haven't got a television set. (laughs) But, Mr. Gribble, you said you believe in respecting people's privacy. I do. Did you ever hear me join one of your personal conversations? is it now, Mrs. Davis? 7.15, Connie. I can't understand why Mr. Stone didn't call. Did the phone company change your party line? Yes, from Madison 4587 to Madison 6319. Without Grace Gribble, it couldn't possibly have been busy from 6 to 6.30 inclusive. Maybe Mr. Conklin heard from Mr. Stone. I'll give him a ring. So 
I looked out the window, and there was this Mr. Boynton in the car. Bertha, he's a dream. Mrs. Gribble, what are you doing on this line? Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. The phone company told me I'd be sharing the line with a new number, Madison 6319. Madison 6319? Well, isn't that nice? That's Bertha's number. <laughs> oh, great. This is just dandy. What's dandy, Connie? Instead of having Grace, who's always talking to Bertha, I now have Bertha, who's always talking to Grace. <laughs> Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful, luster-clean girl. Tonight? Yes, tonight. Show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster-cream shampoo. Luster-cream, world's finest shampoo. No other shampoo in the world gives K. Dumas' magic blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Not a soap, not a liquid. Luster Cream Shampoo leaves hair three ways lovelier. Fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Even in hardest water, Luster Cream lathers instantly. No special rinse needed after a Luster Cream Shampoo. So gentle, Luster Cream is wonderful even for children's hair. Tonight, yes, tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl, you owe your crowning glory to a luster cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, I was feeling pretty low about missing Mr. Stone's call, and I told Mr. Boynton as much when he phoned me at 8 o'clock. Well, don't worry about it, Miss Brooks. I'm sure Mr. Stone will be back in town soon. You can have your interview with him then. Now, suppose you cheer up and we'll go to a movie. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I... come on, Miss Brooks. I borrowed enough to show us a real nice time. But I don't really feel like a movie. Please, Miss Brooks. Come on, Miss Brooks. Say yes. <laughs> Who was that? That's my party line neighbor, Bertha. Bertha, Mr. Boynton. Mr. Boynton, Bertha. Uh, how do you do? Talk more, Mr. Boynton. I'm crazy about your voice. <laughs> uh, I don't understand. Who is this? This, Mr. Boynton, is Madison 6319. That's right, Mr. Boynton. What's your number? <laughs> He's a restricted number. We don't give him out. Now, <clears throat> about that movie, Mr. Boynton, on second thought, I'll be happy to go with you. Please, Bertha, hang up. What movie did you have in mind, Mr. Boynton? Well, any number can play. So why can't I go along? <laughs> Sorry, Bertha. Any number can play is only on the screen. In the balcony, it's strictly one to a customer. Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. 
Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Joseph Kearns, Lucille Meredith, and Sandra Gould. Men, here is actual factual proof of more comfortable, actually smoother shaves by using palm olive lather shaving cream. 1,251 men tried the palm olive lather way to shave described on the tube. And no matter how they shaved before, three out of four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Try palm olive lather shaving cream. See if you don't get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves the palm olive lather shaving cream way. Most of our schools remain understaffed, overcrowded, handicapped by buildings and equipment of inferior quality. And all of these conditions undermine the morale of teachers, teachers in whose keeping rests the future of the rising generations of American citizens. There's a continuing shortage of teachers themselves, reflecting the fact that educational crisis is still with us. You can help by taking an active part yourself in parent-teachers organizations and local educational groups. Remember, our teachers mold our nation's future, and in that future, you have a vital stake. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting Looking for a book that combines the Christian faith, with a fantasy adventure? Creator's Call does just that. 18-year-old Edward has been raised with tales of distant lands where dragons and other strange beasts dwell. He dreams of one day joining the Keepers, who fight against them to keep the land safe, however, life's obstacles keep him firmly rooted in the small town of Cadestone. When 17-year-old June comes passing through, following a dream given to her by the Creator of the Universe, Edward's life is about to change. Pursued by a demon-possessed man, the two of them are forced to flee to areas where dragons and monsters are not just tales but reality. June and Edward eventually discover what the demons want from them. Is it possible to defeat this evil and save everyone from the darkness that threatens their lands? Creator's Call is a Christian fantasy novel with clear Christian messages. A book that glorifies God while taking you on an adventure. Pick up a copy of Creator's Call today. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Amos and Andy Show with their guests, Kay Kaiser, Harry Babbitt, and the writers of Sunday, Monday, or Always, Johnny Burke and Jimmy Van Heusen. some things that don't change. In good old New York, for instance, we find the handsome cabs that went up and down the avenue in Grandfather's Day. And say, what's this over here on the corner? Why, it's an organ grinder with his little monkey on a string. And coming up the street, we see Andrew H. Brown walking with his friend Amos. Hey, Amos, look over there, will you? There's one of them old-fashioned organ grinders. Yeah, he got a little monkey there with him, too. 
Yeah, I think I'll give that monkey a penny. Oh, uh, is you got a penny, Amos? I'm a little short on cash today. Yeah, here's a penny. Thank you. Of course, I got a nickel, but ain't no use to break that up just for the monkey. Hello there, little monkey. Here's a penny for you. Yeah. Here's a penny for you. Here's a penny. Take the penny. Ah, thank you. All right, Jocko, keep your hat. Yeah, he sure is a cute, ain't he? Yeah, look at him tip his hat there. That monkey almost act like a human being, don't he? Sure is. Yeah, that's your nice monkey you got there, mister. Thank you. Yeah, well, let's go, Andy. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, well, I was going home, Andy. You going up that way? No, no, I was walking over to the lodge, Amos. I want to see the kingfish in Van Porter. They is working on some big deal. Yeah, well, okay, son. I'll be seeing you then. So long, son. So long. do de do 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 Oh, I'm telling you, Henry, I think that this magazine report will lead us to making thousands of dollars. It say here, you too can write popular music. You know, Henry, I has always thunk in my head that I could write a song. Yes, I feel the same way. There's nothing to it. Of course, Mrs. Van Porter is very musical, but she leans to Bach and the different unfinished sympathies. Yeah. Yeah, well, I figured that uh, we could put a piano right here in this room at the lodge here. I'll tell you what, let's go back in my office. Andy's in there. I don't say nothing to him, though. Yes. Well, you know, this is going to be a gold mine. Yeah, I want to show you our new letterhead that I'm going to send to the printer. Well, hello there, Andy. Hello. Hi, fellas. Yeah, sit still, Andy. I just want to show Henry something here. Here you is, Henry. Uh, take a look at that. Oh, yes, the letterheads. Yeah. What you fellas doing? Yeah, we uh going in a little business here. Uh, what was that uh, you was humming just then? Uh, did you hear it, Henry? Yes, I did. Oh, uh, Andy, uh, that song, uh, where'd you get that at? Oh, I don't know. I just hummed them things to myself. Uh, why? Did you hear that song any place, Andy? No, no. I just humming here. Did you make that up out of your own head, Andy? Yeah, I guess I must have is. Sure. Uh, uh, Henry, did you hear that tune Andy got there? Yes, it's very catchy. Uh, do it again, Andy. Let's hear that. Do 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 Look, Andy, I'm going to tell you something now. Me and Henry is in the music publishing business, writing songs and all that stuff. And I know that we can make a big hit out of that tune you got there. If you let us use it, we'll cut you in and make you a third partner. And there's thousands of dollars to be made in writing songs. Count me in, gentlemen. Oh, that's the stuff. That's the stuff, Andy. <laughs> oh, you'll never regret this, Andy. And I know that the association will not only be very pleasant, but will be very mercenary to all of us. Yeah. Well, now, uh, let's get going. Now, the most important thing to do now is to write this song down that Andy has been humming here. Now, we've got to get words for it, though. And we got to get a title for it. Uh, think of a title. That's what we got to do. Yeah, well, uh, now, let's see. Uh, how about uh, Moon Over Chicago? <laughs> uh, uh, wait a minute, Andy. I was just thinking here that a lot of the song hits that has been written uh, about holidays. Yeah. You know, uh, Easter Parade, that there's one, and, and White Christmas. Mm -hmm. Oh, there must be a lot of holidays that ain't nobody think about writing about yet. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, how about calling it... Uh, you is the best thing I've seen on Halloween. <laughs> well, now, just a minute, just a minute. That don't sound exactly right. 
I was just looking at this magazine we bought here, Kingfish, and it tells the whole method that you're supposed to use in writing good song titles. Yeah, well, what is that, Henry? Well, it says that you simply write down eight or ten song titles that has been big hits. Yeah. Then you take the words from these titles and put each word in a little card, and then you rearrange them. Yeah, well, you think that system is safe, Henry? After all, we don't want to get in no trouble using something that somebody else has done right. Yeah, you're right about that. We've got to watch that. Oh, no. We'll mix the words up good, boys. Now, the first thing to do is to pick out nine or ten of the big song hits of, uh, say, well, the past five years. And then we'll take them titles. Oh, I'm telling you, Amos, this is going to be the biggest thing we've ever gone into. Oh, uh, step right over here in the corner of the office to our song title department at this desk over here. Yeah, uh, what in the world is all these little cards you got here on the desk? Well, we got words on them, Amos. We're trying to work out a song title. This is a new method. Yeah, uh, uh, Henry, Andy, uh, look here. I done shifted these uh, titles around a little bit here. Uh, see how it sounds now. Yeah, what is the title you got? Uh... Don't jingle jangle on the sleepy lagoon with nobody else but me. <laughs> oh, listen, fellas. I admit that I don't know nothing about music, but that title that the Kingfish got there is bad. Uh, why, why, why don't you all talk to somebody that knows something about writing? Yeah. Well, Fred Gwendell over at the newspaper, he writes a column for the paper. He might be able to help you. See, that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah, and listen, go over and see Fred, and me and Henry will scout around for a piano. Okay. Now, look here, just tell him when you see him that it's kind of a hobby or something like that that you was doing. Mm. You know, uh, we want to keep this thing a secret till it gets rolling. Don't worry, Kingfish. I'll keep everything on the TQ. You see, that's a tune I done made up, Fred, and I was wondering if you could help me get a title and some words for that thing. Well, now, look here, Andy. Uh, you say that you was done made up that yourself? Yeah, right out of my own head. You know, I used to be a genius. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, now, can you give me some words for it, Fred? Yeah, well, now, that ought to be easy with a fine, original tune like that. Mm, well, uh, how long would it take? Oh, now, that won't take long, Andy. I'll tell you what you do. You sit here at my desk till I walk over to the assistant editor's desk for just a second and leave this paper. Okay. Uh, say, Carter. Uh, what you want, Fred? A uh, funny thing just happened over here. That fellow I talking to is Andy Brown. Well, what about him? Well, he come up to my desk with a tune that he say he made up himself. You know what the tune is? It's that big song hit that's been going around called Sunday, Monday, or Always. And he think he made it up, huh? Yeah, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to play a little joke on him. I'm going to give him some of the words that's really in the song. Then he'll think of he done made up the whole business, you see. Yeah, let him have a little pleasure out of life. You can have some fun with it. Yeah. Uh, Andy, look oh, here. It just done hit oh, me. Yeah. Uh, tell me this. See how these words sound to you. Yeah. Won't you tell me when we will meet again? Sunday, Monday, or always? Hey, that's great. Yes, sir. There. Now, there is the kind of words that go with the music I done writ. 
That's romance. That's just what we need. I'm uh, glad you like him. Glad you like him. Now, let me see here if I can get some more. Oh, you as almost juniors as I is. You know that? <laughs> now, wait a minute. I, I got it. I got, just got the inspiration. Don't hit me in the ear here. Listen. Yeah. If you're satisfied, I'll be at your side. Sunday, Monday, or always. Great, Fred. Great. Oh, boy. Them words is fine. Tell you what, I'll memorize them, too. I'll put it all down when I get back to the office. Uh, listen to this. No need to tell me what makes the world go round When at the sight of you my heart begins to pound and pound Kingfish, is you working on a new number there? Uh, yes, I is, Henry. Uh, I figure that Andy's tune is going to be a big hit in no time, and I think we ought to have another one to follow it up right away. Uh, how you like it, Henry? Very catchy. Yeah, it might make kind of an Indian song out of it, you know. Yes, that's right. Yeah, the beauty of this song is that it's only got two notes to it. Uh, you see, if the piano player loses his players, it don't make no difference, you know. Just... <laughs> uh, you know, Henry, it's little things like that you got to think about. Uh, well, hello there, Brother Andy. Hello, Come fellas. In. Hello. Yeah. Uh, how did you make out with Wendell, Andy? Yeah. Oh, boys, it's in the bag. It's in the bag. Don't tell me that it's in the bag. You got some words? Oh, sure. Uh, Gwendell made up some great words. No fooling. Yeah, and I just stopped off home and I wrote them all down. Oh, left here. My, let, 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 me, let, let me hear how it sound. I've got to hear this. Yes, uh, I just can't wait. Yeah, go ahead now. Okay. Uh, here we go. <clears throat> By Andrew Hogg Brown. <laughs> Won't you tell me when we will meet again? Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday? <laughs> if you is satisfied, I'll be on your side. Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday? <coughs> no need for you to tell me that the world is round. On counter just because I love you each and every pound. <laughs> oh, I tell you, that is great, Andy. You got one of the greatest tunes there in the world. Andy, this is very catchy. Oh, it's a sensation number, Andy. I guarantee you that if we keep up this way, we are going to be the biggest songwriters in Tin Can Alley. <laughs> Well, Andy and the Kingfish are going to be the greatest songwriters in Tin Can Alley. <laughs> they think they already have a big hit on their hands. Right now, Amos is talking the situation over with Andy, Van Porter, and the Kingfish. So you really in the songwriting business, fellas. I, I never thought they would last past the first day. Oh, we is going places, Amos. Yes, Andy done sung a whole record on the song down at the store at the corner where you make them records you know to go around. Yes, that's right. And we mailed the record to the Pyramid Music Publishing Company. Yeah, they ought to get it today or tomorrow or sometime. And now we is just sitting around here figuring on how much money we're going to hold out for. Yeah, well, of course, I ain't heard the song yet, but... 
What gets me, Andy, is how you can go all these years without knowing nothing about music, and then all of a sudden you write what everybody says is a swell song. Oh, well, I done had this talent hitting me all the time. It just busted out on me a couple days ago. Yeah, kind of been laying low on him there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I got to run along, fellas. When the money starts coming in, if your office here ain't big enough to hold it, why, me and Ruby let you use one of our closets. Well, so long, fellas. So long, Amos, so long. Yeah, that Amos always making sarcastical remarks. I ain't never seen nobody like him. Yeah, he's a mystery, all right. He, oh, he Miss Andy, Miss Andy. Take it easy now, Lightning. Uh, we're just sitting around here waiting for my song to become a hit. Uh, you don't have to wait no longer, Miss Andy. It's a hit already. What you mean, Lightning? Yeah. I was listening in the next room to that radio that we borrowed today, and a fellow by the name of Harry Babbitt is singing your song now on the K. Kaiser College of Musical Knowledge program. Come on, fellas. Yes, let's hear this quick. Tell me now what makes the world go round When at the sight of you my heart begins to pound and pound And what am I to do? Can't I be with you Sunday, Monday, or Quiet, Andy. Let's listen. Let's listen. Well, well, that was a handsome lad with a beautiful voice, Harry Babbitt, singing Sunday, Monday, or always. And now, children, until next Wednesday when we'll join you again from the Air Transport Command at Long Beach, this is Kay Kaiser thinking of you. Thanks a lot for being with us, and so long, everybody. He done stole my song. Cut that thing off. Yeah, we'll sue him for every cent he got. Count me in, Jetmans. Sunday, Monday, and always. What kind of talk is that? If that K. Kaiser is going to steal a song, then the least he could do is have that singer on his program sing the words that I writ Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. <laughs> yeah, but don't you see what they're trying to do, Andy? He's establishing priorities. That's exactly what they're doing. He is making it early in the week. That's what they're doing. They're moving it up. <laughs> Beat you to the points there. That's yeah. what the man trying to do. Well, fellas, I tell you something. We is gonna sue that K Kaiser up one side and down the other. Yeah, look here now, boys. Yes, now, 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 just calm yourself. Here's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. I is gonna get some dope from the alley lawyer, and I is gonna handle this case myself as your lawyer. Yeah, that singer Harry Babbitt. He sing the song without a permit to begin with, and he mess up the words besides. Boys, listen. It's an open and shut case. We sues the man on two counts. Singing and messing. <laughs> Is you sure... Uh, wait a minute. Is he here at NBC? You sure about that? Yeah, well, the, the man told me that Kaiser rehearsals down here every Monday night. He had a, had a rehearsal there with a band and everything. Yeah. Well, uh, well, come on. Let's uh, ask that fellow in that usher's uniform standing by the door there. Yeah, now look here. Now, just get this in your head. Remember, I handle everything. I'll twist the man in knots, but remember, I as your lawyer. Okay, that's the stuff. Yeah. Oh, uh, excuse me. We would like to see Mr. K. Kaiser. Oh, he's in the studio now on stage there having a dress rehearsal, sir. Yeah, well, uh, we got appointment with him. Yeah. Uh, what are your names, please? 
Andrew Brown, the writer of Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And uh, Mr. Stevens, his lawyer, uh, he's expecting us. Well, uh, I'll tell you, if you'll be quiet, I'll let you in. You can wait in the wings. The rehearsal will be over in just a minute. Uh, right this way, please. Tonight we love in the glow that glows so softly. I know this wasn't meant to borrow. But tomorrow, will it be gone, or will it always live on? Tonight, we love. And so, folks, until next Wednesday, when we'll join you again, this is Kate Kaiser thinking of you. Thanks a lot for being with us, and so long, everybody. Okay, boys. Say, Mother Paul Phillips, uh, how are we for time? Uh, two minutes and ten seconds over, Kate. Excuse me, Mr. Kaiser. Mr. Brown and his lawyer want to see you. Oh, sure. I, I'll see him right now. Uh, say, um, what's Brian, gents? My name is Andrew Hogg Brown. Oh, yes. You're the composer. I uh, got your letter. Hmm. Well, let's step out here in the hall. I always like to be sued in private. Uh, my name is Stevens. I is Mr. Brown's lawyer. Well, I'm glad to know you. Now, boys, what's jumping? Let's get to it. Yeah, uh, Mr. Kaiser, on behalf of my client here, Mr. Andrew Hogg Brown, composer, who has done invested in me the power of suing, settling out a coat and everything else, uh, I want to call your attention to an infraction of the music and songwriting laws of the United States of America. That's what I want to do. Well, what infraction are you referring to, Brother Stevens? Uh, you got it there on a piece of paper, King Pig. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, here it is right here. Uh, I was referring to Section 7, Article 12, Paragraph B, in the Music Laws. Mm -hmm. Now, it states here, uh, quote, Any person or persons in the United States discovered swiping another fellow's song has got to cough up $50,000 ipso facto. That's his right there. Now, wait a minute. You know, I kicked a little of that law around myself for a couple of years down at the University of North Carolina, but uh, I don't remember seeing anything like that in a law book. Yeah, well, it's in there already. I, I don't know about them tall heel books, but I know they're in the books already. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they got it down at the bottom of the page in fine print. And unless you wear glasses, it go right by the thing. You never see it. <laughs> well, I wear glasses. See? Oh, yeah. It makes all the little print big print, but I never saw that law. Well, my lawyer here never makes no mistakes. Now, look, fellas, if I'm being sued for $50,000 for stealing a song, don't you think that just, I don't want too much, but don't you think I ought to know what song it is? Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And not only that, you don't change it around to Sunday, Monday, or always. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> Is that your song? Yes, sir. Mr. Brown here invented the whole thing. Yeah, oh, right I right see. Here. Is that so? <laughs> well, there must be something wrong someplace. Uh, here, fellas, I've got a piece of blank music paper in my pocket. Uh, suppose you take this piece of paper and write your song down here, uh, just the way it goes. Huh? Uh, you mean the words? No, the music. Oh, oh, uh, you mean them little, uh, black specks between the lines? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Known among the jive gentry as notes, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, you know what he means, Mr. Brown. 
Oh, go ahead, Andy. Write the thing down there. Yeah, well, uh, 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 I'd, I'd like to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Only one thing. Uh... <laughs> I left my pencil home. Well, here's a pencil right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Kaiser, uh, uh, how about settling for $25,000? Oh, no, no, no. Let, uh, let's get the music down first. Now, Mr. Brown, uh, you were going to write it out, remember? Uh, yeah, well, uh, 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 you, you want me to uh, write it right on the stripes that's run across the paper there? Oh, sure. You know, uh, you've got to have a place for them black specks to sit on. <laughs> Uh, oh, you see, Mr. Kaiser, we knows our music already. Oh, yes, yes. I can tell you plenty of help, all right. Yes. Only the best composers use the stripe and speck system. Uh, <laughs> uh, go ahead, Andy. Get started there. Uh, put down the first note. Uh, just put it right down there. Yeah, well, now let me think. Uh, taint a high note. Taint a low note. Uh, kind of a medium note, eh? Yeah, keep going, Andy. I think you're closing in on it there, yeah. <laughs> Closing in, but you better close fast, fellas, because this note's a little overdue. Yeah, well, now let me see. Uh, 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 the note ought to be right about. Uh, 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 Mr. Kaiser, you wouldn't want to settle for ten thousand, would you? <laughs> now listen, fellas, don't let's be too hasty with these telephone number figures. You see, this infracture business is a little new to me, and uh, ten thousand is a little big to me too. Oh, now look here, Mr. Kaiser. Now uh, you know, fellas. There may be a shortcut to this whole thing. Suppose you let me call in a few uh, accessories after the fact. Yeah, well, what you think, Kingfish? You was the lawyer. Yeah, well, according to Section 7, Article 12, Paragraph B in the law book on music Well, uh, suppose we hold everything a second here, boys. Let's drop in this room right here. Yeah. Well, hello, Johnny. Hiya, Jimmy. Hiya, Kay. Come on in. Well, um... Lawyer Stevens and Mr. Brown, I'd like for you to meet the two boys who wrote uh, Sunday, Monday, or Always, Mr. Johnny Burke and Mr. Jimmy Van Heusen. Hello, fellas. How are you, boys? Uh, pleased to meet you. Yeah, how you do, gentlemen? You know, uh, I think this is going to bring us right into the home stretch. Johnny, you really wrote the words to Sunday, Monday, or Always, didn't you? Well, if I didn't, the music publisher is crazy for sending me those checks every month. I see. And, uh, and Jimmy, you've been accused by the music industry of writing the music to the song in question, haven't you? Afraid I'm guilty. What's up, Kay? Well, uh, frankly, fellas, I'm uh, just trying to straighten out a little matter for the Section 7, Article 12, Paragraph B here. <laughs> yeah, well, Mr. Kaiser, uh, could we see you out in the hall conferential again? Why, certainly, boys, but before we leave, take a good look at Johnny Burke and Jimmy Van Heusen because uh, they've got another one coming up just as good. We're working on it now. So long, boys. Yeah, so long, so long, y'all. Now, uh, what can I do for you, Lawyer Stevens? Uh, you wouldn't want to settle for $500, would you? <laughs> Might make it 200 Oh, <laughs> now, boys, now, boys, let me get you in the groove here. You know, uh... There are a few laws around these United States that pertain to copyright. And uh, I don't want to be vulgar, but you're kind of messing with fire, see? And uh, in addition to that, you're liable to get in an awful lot of trouble with the music publishers because uh, these boys pay a lot of money to writers for song hits. And uh, in addition to that, there's a little thing known among the music world as ASCAP. 
And they also protect writers. In fact, you're darn lucky that you explained the situation to me before some judge explained it to you. You know, you could go to the penitentiary for stealing a song. Yeah, yeah. Oh, can I ask you one question, Mr. Kaiser? Why, certainly. What is it? If we give you $5, would you forget the whole thing? <laughs> Next Friday evening at this same time, be sure to tune in for another half hour of really great entertainment when we will again present The Amos and Andy Show. Our thanks to Kay Kaiser, the old professor of the College of Musical Knowledge, his fine vocalist Harry Babbitt, and to Johnny Burke and Jimmy Van Heusen for their fine support in tonight's show. Our program is broadcast to our armed forces everywhere. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for all of us and wishing all of you a pleasant good night. For a Christian sci-fi with humor, adventure and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey. Travel with Jarl through the universe and several dimensions as he unearths items to help those struggling to survive on Earth during the catastrophic conclusion of the age. GraceGrows.com has more information. Read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey by Grace S. Gross. Yes, I remember. Of course I remember. <laughs> Perhaps because I'm an old man, I am a little forgetful. Is that it? Well, you Good are morning, mistaken. Father. Good morning. The desert sun may Good have dimmed morning, my eyes Father a bit. Kino. Good morning, Roberto. The sun may have dimmed my eyes, but the memory of each of my days is as bright as ever. From the green of the meadows in the Tyrolean Alps to the yellow of the sand here in New Spain to the blue of the shell of the abalone. But that is my story. And it really began in a hot, dusty courtyard, much like this one, in Mexico City. Do you know which way that is from here? No, you're facing the wrong way. It's that way, south. Over 1,500 miles from here. Look, you see the herd of cattle on the slope across the river. That's south. A few points east. And now, I am pointing directly at Mexico City. Can I help you, Father? I'm looking for the office of the Reverend Father Provincial. I'm here to see him at four o'clock. Across the courtyard. I'll show you, but uh, you're a little early. He usually takes a siesta until four. He's expecting me. Are they sending you north? I just arrived from Spain. I don't know. Well, listen. If they send you north, ask for Santa Fe. I hear the most civilized. Then there's no work for a Jesuit there, is there? Uh -huh. uh, here we are. Second door, just knock. Thank you. And God go with you. Uh, yes. God go with you, too. Come in. Good afternoon, Reverend. Uh, Father 
Kino? Kino, sir. Usabio Francisco Kino. Yes, well, I'm uh, Father Pardo. Come in and shut the door. The light is still very bright. Sit down, sit down. Welcome to Mexico City. Thank you. I... Will you have some wine? How was your trip? Uh, very good. No, uh, no wine. Thank you, Father. Are you one of those people who turn up their nose at American wine? I don't drink wine at all, Father. Oh, you don't? Ah. <laughs> well, then it doesn't make any difference. How was your trip? No, 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 no. I asked you that. Uh, how many days at sea, huh? Ninety-six. Oh, not so bad. And I suppose you're anxious to get to work? Very anxious. Good. Uh, sure you won't try some of this wine? No, thank you. Uh, no, 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 of course not. Well, Father Kino, I have decided to assign you to the California's expedition. California? Are you disappointed? Uh, no, Reverend. The Viceroy will commission you the Royal Astronomer, Surveyor, and Map Maker of the Expedition. Look here. Have you ever seen this map? Mm. One like it. Uh, now, you see, California is shown as an island. One of my professors at Inglostadt believes California is a peninsula. But he's never been there. No, but... But Francis Drake was there. And he says it's an island. Even if he is an Englishman, his words carry a certain uh, authority. But as you say, there is a question. That's one of the reasons the government is financing this expedition, to determine whether it is an island or a peninsula. But is this just for exploration? I mean, is there to be no colony, no mission? Oh, on the contrary. The primary purpose of this project is the establishment of a mission, converting and civilizing the Indians. That will be your first consideration. But do I understand correctly? I'm to be in charge? Of the missionary work. You'll be rector of missions in the Californias. Still disappointed? How could I be? I've been given a great responsibility. I've given you a great deal of hard work. This isn't the first attempt to colonize California, you know. Various companies have tried for 150 years and all failed. Food runs out, water can't be found, Indians always lurking about, sometimes with blood on their minds. I don't mean to alarm you, but you should be aware of the risks, the dangers. Yes, yes, I want to know as much as... Atondo will fill you in. Atondo? Don Isidro de Atondo y Antillon, Admiral of California commander of the expedition. I've arranged for you to dine with him tonight. You two will have much to discuss. Try the wine. It's very good. Oh, thank you, Don Isidro. I don't drink wine. Mm, that's right. You did tell me that, didn't you? You were speaking of Neo. Where is that? On the Sinaloa River. Out near the coast. But a long way north from here. That's where the ships are being built. You say ships? In order to reach California, there is a body of water we must cross. It is called the... I am uh, well aware of that. What I question is the fact that we need more than one ship to get across. We are taking a number of Christian Indians with us to do the household work and the building. Hmm? They may also help you learn the language. We are taking 24 seamen, four pilots, three carpenters, a gunsmith, and the soldiers. Soldiers? 30 soldiers. You said before we would use, what were your words, gentle means of persuasion and mm. religious teaching, mm. not force of arms. 
If so, why do we need 30 soldiers? Mm, don't be foolish. I don't intend to use force. But to think that every Indian will welcome you with open arms is... Uh, foolish. Naive. Perhaps you are right. The soldiers are for our own defense. All right. I accept the soldiers. When do we leave? Mm, if everything goes well, not more than a year. <laughs> a year? Don Isidro said we would leave in a year. And do you know what it actually was? It was two years. Oh, yes, I remember. It was the spring of 1683. That's what, 26, 27 years ago. In fact, I'll tell you the exact date. March 18th, a Thursday. And I had been waiting for that day for two years. Oh, I was so impatient. <laughs> I didn't have the excuse of youth, you know. I, I must have been 38, 39. Not one of your green shoots. So there we were, finally creaking across the Straits of California. Imagine it's taken us 13 days to sail 150 miles. Mm, that's why finding a land passage is so important. I know. At times, though, it seems to me the ship is drifting backwards. 13 days. Don Isidro. Yes, Captain. Look there, to starboard. Aha. What is it? What do you see? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Take the telescope. Now, now, look over there. Hmm? Hmm? See the cluster of palm trees? Ah, yes. I, yes, I see them. Mm -hmm. Is that it? Are we there? Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's the site of the old colony. So, we are finally there. It's... It's beautiful. I was beginning to wonder if I'd ever see California. There must be a good supply of water. Look at those trees Ease and plants. your helm to hmm? starboard. Yes. Let me look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It looks promising, huh? And that hill just behind would be a good place for the fort. Or the church. <laughs> or the church, yeah. Hmm. I don't see any Indians. Father. Now, where did he... On the forecastle. Make ready for letting go. Captain. Make ready for letting go. Yes, Father Kino. More to starboard. Captain, excuse me. Aren't you going rather fast to anchor? What? Kino, 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 come back here. Does he criticize the way you say mass? Leave him alone. Well, he is going too fast, isn't he? Uh, when we anchored at Vera Cruz. The bottom here is probably sandy. Hmm? The faster we're going, the more we'll drag the anchor and bury it. Oh. Ready for letting go. Uh, Captain, please excuse. Let go. Let's go. What a busybody I was, huh? Poking my nose into everyone's business. But I wanted to make sure we made no mistakes. After waiting all that time to begin my missionary work, I wanted nothing to go wrong. Well, you can imagine my frustration the next day when I had to remain aboard ship while Don Isidro and some of the soldiers went ashore. What they found was a beautiful well of water, plentiful supply of firewood, a marsh, and the tracks of Indians. The next day, the 2nd of April, the rest of us went ashore. At the last. Kino. Kino, you're going to kill yourself working out in the noonday sun like this. We must get this brush cleared away. But not all in one day. <sighs> oh, Father Gonye. I am so disappointed. But what? We've been living here less than a week and already have the fort built and are almost finished with our church. Our church. 
and nobody to attend mass but the members of the expedition. All we've seen of the natives is their footprints in the sand. We have come all this way to do our evangelical preaching, but where are the Indians? Where are the Indians? As if in response, the Indians arrived the next day. They came armed with bows and arrows. They were painted for war and made signs that we should leave their land. Stand by the cannon. Rodriguez, move your men out there to the right flank. Don Isidro, I hope you are not planning to do anything rash. Oh, self-defense, father, remember? But we must try and speak with them first. Ask them to lay down their arms. But of course. And if that doesn't work, well, we are ready. Hmm? Come, Goni. Bring the sack with the food, and we will go out to meet with them. I am at your side, father. And I am right behind you, father. And the Lord be with all of us. We come in peace. Please, lay down your weapons. Okay. Listen, we come to you in peace. This is the crucifix. And see, we have food for you. Tony, give me the... See, I have maize for you and biscuits. Here, take these from my hand. Look out, Kino. They're drawing back. They won't take from my hands. We'd better turn back. No, we'll leave the food here on the ground for them. See, my children, here is the food for you. And here, here are the glass beads for you. Take them, please. We will step away so that you may take them. They're coming forward. They're squatting down. Yes, it's for you. Please. The one is picking up the maze. He's tasting it. Mm. He likes it. Here. Here is more for you. Careful. No, it is all right. See? He's going to take it from my hand. Ara? Ara? I don't know what you are saying, my son, but I am so very happy to see you. Jesus? Jesus. Maria? Maria. Again, Jesus. Jesus. I know you have no S in your language, but you can say it if you make your lips go like this. Jesus. All right, now try it. Jesus. Jesus. Yes, that was splendid. Here now, here are some gifts for you. For you, my friend, a steel knife. Oh, okay. And see this, my child. This is a mirror. No, no, no. You hold it thus and look into it. And what do you see? <laughs> Gonye and I worked hard for our divine majesty at the colony called La Paz. But after three months in the Californias, our provisions had run dangerously low. And then we began to have trouble with the Indians. It's much too complicated to go into here. Just understand that one of the local tribes made some threatening gestures. And this, in turn, caused our soldiers to become nervous. Now, it is a mistake to make armed men nervous. One day in July, warriors came to camp. They made signs of peace, but Don Isidro was suspicious of their intentions. He gave them cornmeal mush, which they dearly loved. And while the Indians sat down to eat... Don Isidro had the cannon moved into position. No, 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 no. To the left. 
A little more. Don Isidro, what are your men doing with the cannon? Out of the way, Father. I have decided to act. But those Indians aren't threatening you. They're merely sitting on the ground Ready. eating. Don Isidro, I beg of you. Fire. That signaled the end of our first colony at La Paz. God disposed that this ill-considered decision of Don Isidro should reap a bitter harvest. The slaughter of innocent Indians only served to increase the fear of the Spanish soldiers until they were convinced that all the tribes of California were ready to fall upon them and cut them to pieces to avenge the deaths. We abandoned the settlement at La Paz on July 14th. Yes, but we went back. During the next three years, we returned to the Californias many times, crossing those miserable straits each time in order to colonize and to explore. You know, sometimes I wonder where your real passion lies, in preaching the word of God or climbing over mountains. One serves the other, Father Pardo. Each new expedition brings the church. Don Isidro wrote me that on the trip across California, you were leaping around like a mountain goat, and that when you reached the ocean, you played in the surf like a child. I did do that, yes, but I was very excited. We were the first to cross the Californias. And that shell, that large one there, I found that on the far coast. How very blue it is. An abalone shell. Mm, yes. And as for your um, missionary efforts? Many difficulties, both in the Californias and on the mainland. We had one drought that lasted 18 months. Crops were lost, and you know the problem of getting supplies across the straits. So you have come back to Mexico City for more money. And coincidentally, I have just come from the Viceroy. A new grant? All the money for the Californias has been suspended indefinitely. What? Yes, that's the official word from Spain. I'm as disappointed as you are. But if we could hold on for just a little longer... Well, what can I do? The royal treasury is like the wind. One day it blows east, the next day west. Who knows, Kino? You may go back someday. You may go back someday, he said, not believing it for a moment. <laughs> well, I did go back, but not by boat. And not for many years. There was not a day in all those years I did not think of California. Of Contra Costa, the far coast, and the sea, that special sea. But they were years full of work and full of joy and full as well of dust and sweat. Perhaps that's why the glistening sea remains so vivid in my mind. For I found myself, you see, in the middle of the desert, on the rim of the civilized world. I had gotten a small grant for some missions and had traveled north through the arid country to a town called Kukurpe, about ten miles downriver from here. It was there I was <laughs> waylaid by Father Gonzalez. So, you've been granted funds to build three new missions. Where will you start? Along the coast, with the Guaymas and the Ceres Indians. I see. We could certainly put you to good work here. I'm sure. I know how much California means to you, Kino, but the need here is very urgent. Wait. Are you asking me to stay here? I mean, to go north with the Pimas? Yes. Father Gonzalez was very persuasive, so I came here and built Dolores. I've made it my home ever since. Now, as you can see, we have our church with bells, a forge, water mill, carpenter shop, a horse and mule herd, oxen, cattle, 
We raise wheat and maize, grapes, peaches, pears, figs. We have 90 native families living here now. So, here is where I came to settle. Here beside the waters of the San Miguel River. No, settle is the wrong word. I never did really settle down anywhere. There were so many souls out there to be saved. There were churches to be built. There was so much land to be explored. Father Kino. Yes. I'm Lieutenant Juan Mange. Yes, I know you. Father Gonzalez introduced us last year in Cucurpe. That's right. I'm glad you remember me. This is a fine ranch, Father. You've certainly accomplished a lot in one year. Thank you, Lieutenant. I'm sorry I can't take the time to chat with you. I hope to leave within the hour. I understand. I've brought my own mules. We can simply add them to your train. No need to even change baggage. What? I'm ready to go when you are. I don't understand. Where are you going? With you. Where are we going? I'm going north to explore along the Santa Cruz River. But I didn't know you were coming with me. Yes. You are the representative of the church. I represent the state. I will appoint mayors and justices at the native villages we find. I brought canes of office to give to those I select. And I'll keep the official journal. Which he did on that trip and many others he took with me. And would you like to know how old he was at that time, this lieutenant in the Spanish army? Eighteen. Yet he was an earnest, sincere young man and certainly intelligent enough. On that first trip together, we discovered a large Indian village, almost a city called Bac, or Place by the Well. It's that way, north. Oh, a good 200 miles. I'd say there's close to 3,000 people living there now. I started a mission there in 1700, San Xavier del Bac. In the past 21 years, I've made more than 40 expeditions to the north, west, northwest, and southwest. And during those 21 years, there have been brought to our holy Catholic faith more than 30,000 souls. Let's walk out the ways from the mission. I want to tell you about one of my exploring expeditions, one that was the most rewarding, especially to me. We were 600 miles northwest of here, and Juan was with me again. We were traveling west along the Gila River. There, above those trees on the other side, Father. See the smoke? Yes, it must be a village. Do you want to cross over or send a scout? Neither. Look straight ahead on this side. They're coming to meet us. They don't look like Pimas. No, we'll stop here and wait. There's more of them there on that hill. Keep your hand off your gun. You're the black robe called Kino. Yes. I have heard of you. I'm happy that you have come. You will teach. I have come to follow the river and to teach. What name is your tribe? Yuma. There is a larger river. I will take you not far. But the Gila is the largest river in this country. Please take us. Then we will go to our village. We have gifts for you. I have gifts also for you. Come. Father, it's the biggest river we've... Look how muddy. What do you think it is? The only one it could be is the Colorado. Colorado? But the Colorado is only a wash that empties into the Gila. On the map it is, yes, but no one's actually seen this place before. I'd say it's the Gila that empties into the Colorado. The chief and his party led us a little way back up the Gila and we crossed to the other side. 
Their village was between the two rivers, near where they come together. After we arrived and made camp, I told them the story of Jesus and how God created the world. And I showed them maps of the new world and the old world. They were very interested. Now, please take gifts. Thank you. And here are gifts for you. Father, look at this blue shell. It's big enough to drink water out of. Very pretty. You have small knives? Yes. One, there's some in that bag behind you. Funny. What, Father? This blue shell. I've seen shells like this before, but I can't remember. Ah, I've never seen any like this. Not here. Not in Sonora. California. That's where I've seen them. When Don Isidro and I crossed to the ocean, we found shells like this one on the beach. The Indians must have picked them up near the Straits. No, we never found any like this in the Straits. Only on the Contra Costa, the far coast. The blue shell was brought from the great ocean. But how did you cross the inland sea? Do you have boats? No, we have no boat. We walk. Ten days' journey from here in summer. <laughs> you walk across the Sea of California. There is no sea. What? California isn't an island, it's a peninsula. The Straits are really a gulf. Don't you see, Juan? These people simply walk due west and they come to the ocean. Father, every map in the world shows the Straits. All the maps are wrong. I think you need more proof than just some blue seashells. All right. If you reach California without getting your feet wet, will that be proof enough for you? Now, what if they do get wet? Then I'll be wrong and act humble. And you'll feel proud, which is a sin. So I lose either way. Exactly. Oh, if your feet get wet crossing a river, that doesn't count. Suppose I drown in the straits. I'll see they're named after you. The next day, we crossed to the west bank of the Colorado with the Indians guiding us. And we reached the mouth of that great river after sunset on the second day. It was early, very early, the next morning that Juan got his proof. Father! Father, wake up! Hmm? What? Juan, what, what is it? Look, Father! You mean the sun? Yes. It comes up every morning. But, Father, look. The water, the sea. It's between us and the sun. We're west of the Straits. We're on California. So it is a gulf. And California is a peninsula. Poor old Francis Drake. What? Do you realize what this means? All of California could be supplied by land. There's no need for ships. Packed trains and entire herds of livestock could be sent this way. It doesn't seem to be just a sandbar either. Look north. The mountains run as far as you can see. Yes, I'm beginning to think California might be joined to the mainland as far north as the Bay of Monterey. We should go see for ourselves. Now? No, I'm afraid that's another expedition. So, here's the new map I made. You see? I divided California into two parts. I called the peninsula Baja California and the northern section Alta. That area is still unexplored. For the same old reasons, no money. But I don't doubt that sometime in the future our explorers will finally push north into Alta California. Just as they have everywhere. Think of it. Spain possesses the new world from the Straits of Magellan to Cape Mendocino. But there's no hurry. After all, it's taken 200 years to get where we are now. Still, whenever I come out here and look off to the northwest, 
I wonder what they will find in Alta, California. I wish I could go. This has been another program in the series Our Nation's Heritage, produced and presented as a public service by Standard Oil Company of California. Read Conflict with Shadows. A fast-paced story of invading darkness. The first in a series of light versus darkness, and the connection with the past to help fight for the future. When the Bathshe invade, John Vega and Nicolay Dan must come together to stop them from destroying their worlds. It will lead them far beyond known space only to find out that this is more than a battle for territory, but a battle for the souls of mankind. But there is always hope. Pick up a copy of Conflict with Shadows at your favorite online bookstore. Journey into space. The BBC presents Jet Morgan in Operation Luna. and the crew of rocket ship Luna took off from the moon intending to return to the Earth. But on the far side of the moon, which they were photographing prior to heading for home, they saw a number of strange spacecraft which took off and pursued them. Then, Jet and his crew lost consciousness to awake and find that they'd left the solar system entirely and were hurtling through space at an unimaginable speed. After a little while, they noticed that the ship had slowed down. And then there appeared on the televiewer screen an image of a planet which they were rapidly approaching. You mean you're going to attempt a landing on it? Why not? If we're going to die anyway, it might as well be on that... whatever it is, is out here in nothing. Landing procedure will be the same as it would have been for landing on Earth. With the aid of the atmosphere? How else? But it may not be dense enough to afford the necessary braking power. But we'll try it just the same. Open up the pilot's cabin, Doc. I'm going in. Okay. Mitch, get to the radar. And Lemmy, stay with the televiewer. Pilot cabin door. Contact. Hey, Jet. Yes, Lemmy? Look at this. What? Look, see it? Sort of brilliant reflection at the top, like custard over a Christmas pudding. Ice? Hey? An ice cap. Like the North and South Poles on the Earth, but bigger, much bigger. Seem to be a lot of cloud areas. Thick, too. Yes, all to the good. At least that indicates that there's moisture down there. Water? I hope so. Well, that's peculiar. But uh, most fortunate. Well, so far as I can calculate, we're about 17,000 miles above the surface of that planet. Uh-huh. And our speed is approaching 10,000 miles per hour. And that's exactly what our height and speed would have been now if we were approaching the Earth after taking off from the moon. Except that it would have taken us more than four days to get this far instead of just an hour or so. Hello, Doc. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me, Mitch? Yes. Estimated distance of surface is 17,000 miles. Speed, 10,000 miles per hour. What? That's just what it would be if... If we were approaching Earth, I know. I just explained that to Doc. Yeah, I suppose this couldn't be the Earth, could it? How could it? Well, it seems to have land and water and clouds and ice caps. But the ice caps on Earth are nothing like the size of that one. Get to your posts and stand by for landing procedure. Yeah, okay, Okay, Jed. Right, I'll try to estimate our acceleration rate and... Hey, listen. Huh? Oh, it's here again. That music... Those ships must be around somewhere. Yeah, I can hear it too. Yes, so can I. Jet, do you hear it? Yes, Doc. Can you see them? Are they out there? No, I can't, but my view's limited. I can't see behind. Stern view. Switch on the stern view. Stern view. On. There they are. 
Are they going to try and turn us away from here too? Ruin our only chance? Can you see them? Yes, Jet. They're directly behind us. Why don't they leave us alone? Jet, you better come out of that cabin quick. If we're going to accelerate again, the pressure could break your neck. I'm on my way out. Doc, let me get to your bunks. Lie down. Yeah, they ain't catching me this time. Are they still there? Yeah, look. Well, get onto your bunk, Mitch. Yeah. If nothing has happened by the time we're close enough to that planet to go into orbit, we'll go. Ships or no ships. Yeah, well, I'll keep checking our speed. Let you know when we have to take action. Well, they're still there. Hey, what the... Our speed, it's just the same. It isn't increasing at all. But it must do. The gravity pull of that planet must be drawing us down towards it. The speed must increase. I tell you, it's not, Jet. It's still 10,000. It hasn't changed since the last check. What is going on? And how can they do it? Beats me. They must have control over powers we don't even know exist. They're coming in closer now, and fast, too. Eh? Yeah, look at them. Just like before, as though they were going to attack us. And why don't they get it over with? Hey, something's happened. Gravity's returning. Can you feel it? I don't know. It's not quite like that. It's a, a kind of... Well, the pressure seems to be outward towards the walls. And getting stronger. Hang on. Get your backs to the wall if you can. Oh, I'm trying. I, oh, I can hardly move. Oh, oh. Everybody all right? Anybody blackout? Uh, not me. No. Not me. Hey. Hey, they've gone. There's no sign of them. What? Look for yourself, Jet. I can't... Yeah, wait a minute. What's that? At the bottom of the screen. It's a light. Some kind of light. Look, it's rising higher. It's the planet. We've already broken through its atmosphere and we're travelling parallel to its surface. But if we're that close, we must be falling towards it as well. We're likely to crash. Get to the radar, Mitch. See if you can estimate our height. And, Doc, uh, open up the cabin again. Right. We'll probably hit the ground so hard it'll take a month to dig us out. As soon as Mitch has got the facts and figures, let me have them over the intercom. You bet. Good heavens. What is it, Jeff? The wings, they're red hot. The whole ship must be glowing. We must have entered the atmosphere at about 15,000 miles an hour. And we can't be doing much less than that now. Hello, Jet. Estimated height, 50 miles. Speed, 14,500. Right, I'll hold it at 50 miles high. The atmosphere's resistance will keep slowing us down, and at least with the right way up and on a steady course. Where are we now? Just over the ice cap. Let's hope we don't have to land on the ice. We'll be well on our way towards the equator before we're anywhere near slow enough. Meanwhile, you'd better convert the couches to sitting position. As soon as you've done that, train the televiewer on the surface directly below us. Between us, we can select a good landing place, if there is one. Fifteen miles. Speed, 750. Check. Well, we seem to have left the ice behind. Passing over water now. Can you see any land yet? No, I can't. Well, there is plenty. There's plenty of sea, too. Hey! I can see land now. I think slightly to port. I'm going to turn, head towards it. What's it look like? Flat or what? I can't tell from here, but you'll soon be able to see for yourselves. Height, 30,000. Speed, 180. Check. Oh, blimey. Don't look very friendly, does it? About as good a spot for landing as the Himalayas. Well, what if it's all like this? A planet of mountains. They stretch clear to the horizon. Oh, meanwhile, we're losing speed and height with every second. And nothing but rocks, not even a tree. Probably don't even grow here. Perhaps nothing grows here. We're losing height rapidly, Jet. And speed, too. We can't keep going much longer. Then we'll cut in the motor. I'll lift our nose and gain height. Right, Jet. Look, just a short burst on low power. 
Let me know when you're ready. We'll get it up to 500. Stand by. Standing by. Contact. Contact. Speed 120. 130. 2,000 feet, speed 90. It's no good. Nothing but trees. We'll have to rise again. Get above this cloud. Find somewhere else. There's a gap. As if a great area of the forest has been cleared and cultivated. What? And there's a river in front of us, running at right angles to our line of flight. Can you see a place to land? It's raining, absolutely teeming down. Oh, blimey. Can you see a place to land? There are plenty of places, but we're going too fast at the moment. I'll have to circle and keep circling until we've slowed down. We'll be careful. Don't put us down in the river, please. Turning. Speed is now 70. I'm going to straighten up for the run-in. Is it still raining? Oh, raining buckets full. Visibility's about down to zero. Well, then take it easy. We don't want to hit anything, not at this stage. Coming in now. Right, 1,000 feet. Straight run. 900 feet. Let's hope the ground's firm. 800. You better brace yourselves. Get into your chairs. 700. Come on, Lemmy. It might be quite a shock. <laughs> Don't you think I'd know it? Strap yourself in. 500. Doing it. 400. 300. Nearly there. 200. Stand by. 100. Here it comes. Oh, blimey, Jet. Sorry, she bounced. Here we go again. Touching down. What's happening? We're gonna crash, I know it! Shut up, let me just hold on. Oh, 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 oh! We're down. And all in one piece. We're here! Yes, Lemmy. Heaven knows where we are, but we're here.
We're fine, Jet. How about you? Oh, I'm all right. Hold on, I'm coming up to the cabin to take a look out. Uh, me too. And me. Come on, then. Not that you can see much with this rain falling. Blimey. I'll say it's raining. Do you suppose it's always like this here? Rains all the time? Well, it just goes to prove that life on other planets must be fundamentally much the same as on Earth. Green vegetation, a river, clouds, rain. Just like home, only much wetter. I wonder if there's any kind of animal life. There must be. Hey. How else could those plots of vegetation grow like that? What, you mean some kind of animal planted them? Why not? Who ever heard of such a thing? No animal would know how to begin, wouldn't have a clue. Well, what's your theory? Humans. Only human beings would know how to cultivate. The only type of human beings we can imagine are like ourselves, and we came from the Earth. Ah, yes, but just... According to your theory, there must be human beings here. Oh, well, well if there are, or animals for that matter, with a similar type of intelligence, surely they must live somewhere. Where are their houses? Their cities, even. There's no sign of them. And what's the answer? Well, maybe their homes are miles from here, and they travel by boat along the river. Do you think that stuff down there is good to eat? Huh? Well, our food isn't going to last forever, Jet. And drink. Can we drink that water? Or will it poison us? Can we breathe the air? Is it air? It may not even be safe to step outside the ship. Gentlemen... I don't know where we are, what planet this is we've landed on, or in what part of the universe it's located. But the fact remains, it looks as though we're going to be here till the end of our days. And if we remain in the ship, our days are numbered to less than five. And if we step outside, we may not live five minutes. We'll have to put it to the test. Somebody will have to go out there and try it. Go out? Uh, isn't there some other way? What? Well, whoever goes, he's... He, he... No, there's no other way that I can think of. We'll draw lots for it. How'll we get out? Through the airlock. Yeah, but the moment we open the main door, whatever atmosphere is out there will rush in and fill up the vacuum. And next time we use the airlock, it'll enter the ship, and if it's poisonous... If it is poisonous, we won't be using the airlock again anyway. Whoever's left in won't be wanting to get out. I'm not so sure about that. I think I'd rather be poisoned out there and get it over with and die of suffocation in here in five days' time. Let's get back to the main cabin. We'll draw lots, and then one of us will go out and make the test. Let us know when your helmet is fixed and we'll exhaust the airlock, Benny. Helmet fastened. Over to intercom. Airlock. Exhaust. Suit now inflating. Air pressure zero. All right, Doc. Open the door. Let's get out there. Look, Lemmy, wait a minute. Why not let me go out? Oh, fair. I won the draw, didn't I? Open her up. I'm going out. Take it easy. Just ease the door enough to break the vacuum. Yeah. Let that air, or whatever it is out there, come in as slowly as possible. Right. Main door. Stand by. How's that, Lemmy? I don't know yet. She's filling up. You all right, Lemmy? Yes, Jet. How do you feel, mate? Lonely. Pressure nearing maximum. Yeah, the suit, it's gone all flabby. Oh, it will. As the air, or whatever it is, comes in from outside, it'll equalise the pressure. Oh, well, but it'll be a lot easier to move anyway. Maximum pressure. She must be full now. And open the door properly. Let's get out and get this over with. Main door, contact...
Ladder, Doc. Ladder, contact. Well, here I'll go. I'll go round to the ship's nose so you can all see me through the pilot's window. How is it to walk, Lemmy? It's not walking that worries me. It's how long I'm going to be able to. I'm now going round. All right, Lemmy. We'll be watching for you. And good luck. There he is. He's coming into view. Talk to him, Jack. Hello, Lemmy. We can see you. You all right? I'll tell you in just a few minutes. I'll know one thing. What? I should have brought an umbrella. I'm going to get my ear wet when I take the helmet off. Oh, never mind that. Remember what we told you. Loosen your helmet first. If you feel no ill effects, lift it slightly. Take a shallow breath, and if that's okay, take a bigger one. And if it isn't? And fasten up your helmet, increase your oxygen supply, and breathe deeply. Right. Now... Here I go. I'm fastening helmet. Helmet loose. Well, Lemmy, can you breathe all right? Oh, sorry, Jet. I wasn't trying. I was holding my breath, but I'll do it this time. Removing helmet slightly. Now. Now, lower your helmet, quick. Too late. It's lowered. How do you feel? Well, it's... All right, up to now, anyway. You sure? No, I ain't. It's air. It must be air. The effects might be delayed. I'll have another go now. Take a deeper breath this time. Removing helmet. Oh, feels all right. Thank goodness for that. No peculiar sensations? No. You sure, Lemmy? Sure, I'm sure. In fact, I think I'll take the helmet right off. No, no wait. Too late. He's done it. come over him. He's dancing. The oxygen content must be too high. It's making him too lively. Or else it's poisonous. Lemmy, put your helmet on, do you hear? <laughs> He's taking his suit off now. Lemmy, what on earth are you doing? I'm going to take a shower. A shower? In the rain. Don't you realise it? It's nearly a month since any of us have had any kind of a bath. But isn't it cold out there, Lemmy? I wouldn't know. To me, it feels oh, like a warm spring day on earth. And now that I'm here, I'm going to make the best of it. Here, why don't you come in? The water's lovely. Well, why don't we, Jeff? In fact, the idea appeals to me very much. Yeah, let's get out there. We're probably going to be here the rest of our lives. We might as well get used to it. All right, open the hatch, Doc, and let's get out there. Do we take the suits? Suits? What do we need suits for? There's life on this planet. Life very much as we know it. So let's go out and say hello to it just as we are. Now nearly a week since we landed on this planet and Lemmy left the ship and found the atmosphere breathable. Since then, we have discovered many other things. That the water is drinkable, the temperature is mild, and the rain unceasing. The cultivated area along the riverbanks contains a variety of crops. So far as we can tell, principally a kind of wheat or barley. But whatever it is, it's in the early stages of its growth, which leads us to believe we've arrived during the late spring or early summer. Who or what it is that has cultivated the soil, we have no idea, for with the exception of flights of birds across the dark, cloudy sky, we've seen no living creature since we arrived here. The rations we brought with us from Earth have now almost gone, and Jet, Mitch, and Lemmy, armed with homemade nets and fish hooks, have gone down to the river, hoping to catch some edible fish. 
Perhaps there is further food to be had in the forest, but until we can be sure what kind of animals live there, we daren't risk entering it. Well, that wasn't at all bad. Would have been better with some potatoes and peas, but at least we needn't starve. Well, not while the weather remains as mild as this. What, do you think it's going to change then? Who knows? This might be just the warm season. If it is, what's the cold season like? How severe and how long? We've got to explore a wider area, find out much more about this place. Yeah, what happens if we meet up with uh, whoever planted those fields outside? I hate to think. I'd feel a lot easier if we had at least one gun between us. Look, can't we make some spears or bows and arrows? At least they'd be better than nothing. Have you ever used a spear, Doc? Or a bow and arrow? Well, no, I haven't. I wouldn't know how to begin. Oh, it's marvellous, isn't it? Here we are in a rocket ship, the wonder of our age, stranded on some unknown planet in the depths of the universe. And when it comes to making a couple of simple weapons to enable us to keep alive, not one of us knows how. Hey, weren't you ever a Boy Scout, Lemmy? No, Jewish Lads Brigade, me. Didn't teach us nothing about bows and arrows. Well, I think it's a problem we're going to be able to solve. We've got good tools. We could use odd bits of the ship to manufacture a few knives, arrowheads or spearheads. We'll soon learn how to use them. We'll have to. Yeah, meanwhile, we can live on fish. At least it's a change from airtight sandwich packs. It's getting dark, Jet. Maybe we'd better close the hatch. Yeah. I'll do it. That's another thing. What is? We're using what power we have left to keep the lights going at night. What do we do when the juice gives out? There are a great many problems we'll have to solve before long. A great many. And one of them is some kind of shelter outside. What for? For cooking, that's what. Having the fire under the ship is all very well, but... I'll keep getting soaked just the same. Well, maybe the rain won't last much longer. Well, I don't see why not. It hasn't stopped since we got there. Well, it's time for me to go into the pilot's cabin and take the watch. <sighs> Who follows me? I do, gent. Well, I'll give you a yell in a couple of hours. Oh, thanks. Oh, I think I'll turn in. Don't suppose I'll sleep, but there's nothing else to do. How about you, Mitch? Yeah, sure, might as well. Me too. At least until I have to turn out again. Hey, Mitch. Mitch, wake up, huh? It's you, Jen. I was just dozing off. What's wrong? Is there a red princess knocking at the door? The rain, it's stopped. Oh, blimey, didn't wake us up just to tell us that, did you? The sky's cleared, and I can see the stars. Well, what did you expect? But the constellations... Well, what about them? Well, they're the same as we could see from Earth. They can't be. They are, I tell you. Come and take a look for yourselves. You bet we will. Well? Yes, you're right. I can recognise them. Lyra, Cygnus, and the dolphin. There, see... Just the same. In fact, we might as well be on Earth. Not quite the same. Well, how do you mean? Well, look at Vega. Well? I've been watching it for more than an hour, and she hasn't moved from that position. Well, hardly, but the other stars have. Moved quite a distance. They're, they're circling round her. So? But isn't it Polaris, the pole star, that stands still? Yes, it should be. And when we left Earth, Polaris marked the celestial pole. Now, now wait a minute. I, I don't understand. Well, I do. At least, I think I do. Well, what does it mean? Just this. Vega has been the pole star before, and will be again. Every 26,000 years or so, it occupies the place we normally see occupied by Polaris. Yes, but apart from Vega, the constellations are the same as seen from Earth. Yes, and don't you see, only from the Earth, or maybe from some other part of the solar system, would they assume the shapes they do. It means that we must be somewhere within the solar system. Well, that's a comfort. And that's not all. We know that within the solar system, there's only one planet with air, trees, water, rain and clouds, and the Earth... This can only be the Earth. It is the Earth. <laughs> what? Oh, blimey. And I went through all that performance, testing the air. But if that's true, Jet, how do you account for the constellations being out of position? Why is Vega now the pole star? 
there's only one possible explanation. We must have travelled here through time. We've landed on the Earth, all right, but at a different time from when we left it. How different? Heaven knows. But my guess is at least 13,000 years. Oh, which way? Forward or, or back? I don't know, Lemmy. I don't know. You've been listening to episode seven of Journey into Space with Andrew Folds as Jet Morgan, Alfie Bass as Lemmy, Guy Kingsley Pointer as Doc, and David Williams as Mitch, and with David Jacobs. The orchestra was conducted by Van Phillips, who also composed the music. Journey into Space was written and produced for the BBC by Charles Chilton. Looking for a book that combines the Christian faith with a fantasy adventure? Creator's Call does just that. 18-year-old Edward has been raised with tales of distant lands where dragons and other strange beasts dwell. He dreams of one day joining the Keepers, who fight against them to keep the land safe, however, life's obstacles keep him firmly rooted in the small town of Cadestown. When 17-year-old June comes passing through, following a dream given to her by the creator of the universe, Edward's life is about to change. Pursued by a demon-possessed man, the two of them are forced to flee to areas where dragons and monsters are not just tales but reality. June and Edward eventually discover what the demons want from them. Is it possible to defeat this evil and save everyone from the darkness that threatens their lands? Creator's Call is a Christian fantasy novel with clear Christian messages. A book that glorifies God while taking you on an adventure. Pick up a copy of Creator's Call today. city and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. saw a street like that. Oh? What do you mean, Chester? Dusty, sir. Just plain dusty. It's only spring and already the plaza's just vulgar with dust. <laughs> Streets in Texas are all grass, Chester? No, sir, but they're better than this. You'd think there'd be some way of fixing it. Oh, Dodger's growing, Chester. 
Maybe someday it won't look so bad to you. <laughs> I don't aim to live that long, sir. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got that much figured out anyway. I surely have. Oh, now, wait. That's not what I meant either. <laughs> don't let it worry you, Chester. Now, did you get those posters down to Mr. Hightower? Yes, sir. He said they'll be ready about noon tomorrow. All right. Pick them up then, will you? Yes, sir. Hey, oh, my goodness, Mr. Dillon, I nearly forgot. No? Well, forgot after, what? after I left Mr. Hightower's, I thought I'd just take a glass of beer. I had to get all that dust out of my throat. You know how bad it is walking around knee-deep in that stuff, and I was yeah, yeah. All, coughing. All right, Chester. Well, what is it you forgot? Well, sir, I dropped into the Texas Trail, and Miss Kitty was there, and she said she thinks there might be trouble over there before long, and she said to tell you. Oh? What kind of trouble? Oh, the usual thing. Some man fighting over girl. Well, you don't seem to be very worried about it. I'm tired of people fighting. I wish they'd all just go away somewheres and kill each other off and have done with it. <laughs> That'd be fine as long as they don't do it and dodge. Well, come on, Chester. Let's go over and see what it's all about. Mercedes a new girl, Matt. She's shy as a flower. I don't know what she's doing here anyway. Now, do you know the name of the man? Dorgan, he says. I tried to get her away from him, but I... I... I think she's too scared. Yeah. Well, maybe she likes him. Did you ever think of that? <laughs> I hope not. Anyway, he won't let anyone else dance with her. Those two over at the bar near Chester there. They've tried twice. Yeah, I know one of those men. The tall one. His name's Horn. Who is he? Yeah, he's a gunman. Pretty fast, too, so I've heard. Well, I was over there with to say the last time they came up. And somehow, from the way they talked, I got the feeling they're more interested in Dorgan than her. Oh, you mean they're trying to draw him into a fight? That's my guess, Matt. All right, Kitty. I'll see what I can do. Uh, Miss Tosada? Yes? I'm Matt Dillon. I'd uh, be proud if you'd dance with me. Well, I... I don't think I'd better... I... Now, go ahead to say it. It's all right. You can dance with him. Mr. Dorgan, you told those others that I... Hello, yeah. Marshal. Uh, hello, Horn. This here is Watson. Howdy, Marshal. How are you? Well, what's on your mind, Horn? He just wanted to let you know, Marshal, if there's any trouble here, we ain't responsible. Leave me alone, there won't be any trouble. All we want, Marshal, is our turn with the girl here in Dorgan's had her hog the whole evening. And that ain't fair, and that's all. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny, Marshal? Now you sound like a man of the church social. I'm trying to be peaceable about it, that's all. I've seen you when you didn't try, Horn. What are you looking for, an excuse to work this man into a gunfight? Yeah, he sure is, Marshal. I ain't going to take much more from him or Watson either. What's the real trouble between you? Uh, there's no trouble, Marshal. We just want to dance with that girl. That's all. Mm-hmm. You want to tell me, Dorgan? Nothing, Marshal, nothing. All right. Just say to... Yes, sir. 
Yeah, go over there and sit with Kitty, will you? Now, wait a minute, Marshal. To say this, my girl, I've been buying her drinks. She's staying right here. Go ahead, Tosedo. Go on over with Kitty. I, I don't know which one... You just is... go, Tosedo. Nobody will stop you. Well, all right, then. Thank you for the drinks, Mr. Dorgan. Go on, Peter. Chester. you got a great way of handling things, is all I can say. What is it, Mr. Dillon? Take their guns, Chester. Oh, no, you don't. Shut up, Watson. Well, are you going to let them do that? We ain't looking for trouble. Uh, you're smarter than I figured, Horn. <laughs> uh, am I, Marshal? Get them, Chester. Yes, sir. Thank you, All right. All right. Your guns will be at the jail. You can pick them up in the morning. When you leave town. Leave town? All three of you. Good night, gentlemen. Taking his gun from a man like Horn was the fastest way in the world to get him out of the saloons and off the streets and behind cover somewhere. There were too many men who might show up out of his past and suddenly make their claim on him. And Horn was the one that really mattered. Neither Dorgan or Watson looked like real gunmen. So I thought I'd been pretty smart. Till the next morning. I was just crossing the plaza when I ran into Kitty and Chester. Matt. Matt. We've been trying to find you. Oh, what's the matter, Kitty? Mr. Seda. I don't know where she is. What? I looked in her room this morning and she'd gone. Nobody's seen her anywhere. Oh, maybe she went out to buy some clothes or something. Oh, she was afraid to go out alone. I always had to go with her. I just know something's happened to her. Oh, like what? Dorgan. He was real sweet on her, Matt, and I don't trust him at all. Oh? Dorgan come by the office real early, Mr. Dillon. I gave him his gun, and he vamoosed. He was in a big hurry to go someplace. I told him to leave town this morning. Well, you didn't tell him to take the Seda with him. Uh... Did they get back together last night? Sure. Just as soon as Horn and Watson left. I couldn't stop it. I see. Uh, tell me, Kitty, can she ride? Oh, no. I asked her to go out with me once. All right. There was a stage west this morning. Go see if they got on it, will you, Chester? All right, sir. Kitty, if she did leave with Dorgan, maybe it's because she wanted to. Oh, maybe. She wouldn't say anything about him last night one way or the other. I told you, I think she's afraid of him, Matt, but even if she did want to go, well, she isn't his kind, that's all. Well, that may be, Kitty, but it's not the law's job to chaperone every girl that hits Dodge. What if she didn't want to go, Matt? What if he forced her to? Well, that'd be different. A whole lot different. You bet it would. They was on it, Mr. Dillon. The agent described him exactly. Left an hour ago, right on time. I knew it. I knew it. Will I get our horses, sir? No, no. Wait a minute, Chester. Dorgan might put up a fight, and if he does, we can't shoot around that girl. Well, then how can you stop him, Matt? Well, somehow I don't figure Dorgan is a really brave man. I think we can bluff him. He might try to fight two of us, but if there were more, say, maybe a dozen men, what? You mean we'll take a posse? Yeah, well, this time it might just work, Chester. But I'll pick them. Men I can trust not to do any hasty shooting. Uh, Chester, you go round up, uh, Arnold Winters and, uh, uh, John Kemp, Marty Walter and Bob Gast, and, uh, I'll get the rest of them. All right, and tell them we'll all meet at the jail in 20 minutes. 
Everybody's here, Mr. Dillon. All right, I'm coming, Chester. you men because I know that you're steady, every one of you. Now, there's a girl on that stage, and whatever happens, we can't return fire. Is that clear? Yeah. All right. I'll figure out how we're going to stop them when we get there. Well, what are you doing here? Hold it. Well, Marshal, me and Watson heard you needed help. Thought I told you to get out of town, Horn. We just want to be sure you got Dorgan before we left, Marshal. I don't need your help. And don't you be here when I get back, either one of you. How do you like that one? All right, men. All right, let's go. Mr. Dillon? All right, Chester. Men, spread out in a half circle. When the stage comes out of those cottonwoods, Chester and I'll ride forward and stop her. And then you close in around us. We got it. Okay. All right, let's go. What's the matter, Marshal? It's all right, Jim. I just want to talk to a couple of your passengers. You, Dorgan, come on out. You try anything to say to be right in front of me, Marshal. I figured that, Dorgan. Come on out anyway. All right, to say to get out. You stand right here to say and don't move. Now, what's on your mind, Marshal? I want to know if Tosita's here because she wants to be. That's all. Tell him, Tosita. Right, tell him. Just tell me the truth, Tosita. If you want to go with him, you may. But if he's forcing you to go, then we're here to take you back to Dodge. You wouldn't want her death on what? your conscience, would you, Marshal? Well, no, please don't kill me. I'll tell him. I... I came because I wanted to. There. <laughs> That's a good answer to say to Then go on back to Dodge and leave us alone. I guess you didn't hear the same thing I did, Dorgan. I'm warning you, You Marshal. haven't got a chance. How long do you think you can use her for cover? Now, I got 12 men here, Dorgan, and we'll follow you from here to California if necessary. Isn't that right, men? And if she should get killed, I'll just let you imagine what we'll do to you. Now, you drop your gun belt right where you are and step forward. And do it now. Hmm. All right, get his gun, Chester. Yes, sir. All right, one of you men get rid of your guns and put Dorgan up behind you. Mr. Dillon, what are we going to do with Tessada? She can't ride anyway, especially in those clothes. Well, the Bledsoe place is a couple of miles from here. Uh, go over there and borrow their buckboard, Chester, and for your trouble, we'll let you drive her back to town. Yes, sir. 
My. Well, you wait right here, Mr. Seder, and I'll be back in no time at all. Mr. Dillon. Oh, Chester. Uh, what time did you get back with Tosedo last night, Chester? <laughs> oh, no, a buckboard ain't like a horse. You can't drive it a lope all the way. <laughs> That's all right, Chester. Well, what have you got there? Hey, Dorgan's breakfast. Uh, you'll probably have to wake him up. He hasn't made a sound so far. Oh, there are the keys on the desk. Yes. Dylan? Yeah. Come here, quick. What? Open the cell, Chester. Hurry. He might still be alive. I got a knife. All right. Cut him free. I'll hold it. He'd go hang himself. He didn't, Chester. What? There's no rope in his cell. Somebody called him over here to the window. Knocked him in the head and slipped the rope around his neck and tied him tight to the bars. This isn't suicide, it's murder. Horn. Horn and that fellow Watson, they did it. Well, they're the only ones I know who've been wanting him dead. Will we go arrest him? Yeah, they just go free again. I got no evidence the court would accept. I'll bet those two don't think any more of strangling a man than shooting a wolf and throwing his skin over a fan. Yeah, they're killers, Chester. But right now they got nobody to kill. Except maybe me. <laughs> second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, make sure you're by your radio this Monday evening for CBS Radio's Monday evening dramatic shows, the Lux Radio Theater and Suspense are putting on two of their top shows of the season. Suspense has a new writer, William Shakespeare by name, and they're staging his wonderful tale of love, vengeance, and murder, Othello, with Richard Widmark as the star. And our Lux Radio Theater is bringing you the charming, nostalgic story, Wait Till the Sun Shines Nelly, with David Wayne and Gene Peters in their original movie roles. It's a date Monday night. Suspense and the Lux Radio Theater on most of these same stations. Now the second act of Gunsmoke. found out that Horn and Watson were still in Dodge, I figured that they were probably waiting for me to run them out. That they'd be glad for the excuse if I did, leaving Dorgan's murder behind them. Instead, I did nothing, and I said nothing, hoping that it'd sand their nerves some, maybe drive them to a bottle and some loose talk. 
That night, pretending there was nothing in the world on our minds, Chester and I walked into the Texas trail. Sure is crowded tonight, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Say, there's the Seda. See her? You're like a fall hog after ripe acorns, Chester. Well, now, my gracious, it wouldn't be polite for me not to say hello, would it? I'll see you later. Uh, that fellow who just left, is he coming back, Kitty? <laughs> he went broke. <laughs> Sit down, Red. Uh. You drinking? No, not tonight. Huh? Expecting trouble, huh? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Look at Chester and DeSada there. I sure wish this place were quieter. I'd give anything to know what you're saying. It may get noisier. What? Look over there. Watson just came in. Oh. Say, he's drunk, Matt. He's real drunk. Yeah. He's just going to start trouble again. Look, he spotted to Seda. I don't see Horn. Oh, Horn hasn't been in tonight. I said I was going to dance with her. You're a local drunk, Watson. Get out of here and leave the lady alone. <laughs> what lady? You take that back. Matt. Are you from Texas, mister? Yes. Yes, I am. Well, now, if I was from Texas, I'd certainly keep it to myself. You're wrong, Watson. There's a lot of good, decent people in Texas. Maybe, since you left. It's a wonder you can even get a woman like this. Don't you be judging the people of Texas. <laughs> Matt! <laughs> All right, get out of the way. Let me through. <laughs> he, he grew on me, Mr. Dillon. I was only going to fight him. I didn't think he'd draw. Everybody saw it, Chester. He had his gun out first. I shot him. Twice. He didn't even fire. How come he didn't kill me? Now, take it easy, Chester. To say to... Go get him a drink, will you? Yes, sir. Do that away. Watson. Watson. Little Texas fellow. He shot me. Watson. Watson, listen to me. Did you strangle Dorgan? Dorgan. We killed him. Me and Horn. Right in jail. There it comes. If I take Horn alive, I'll call on some of you men as witnesses to Watson's confession here. Well, uh, a couple of you, take him out back. Chester, you all right? You look peaked. I got him a whiskey, sir, just like you said. Drink it down, Chester. (laughs) 
Mr. Dillon? Yeah. Mr. Dillon, if he hadn't have been drunk, I couldn't have shot him. Well, that may be, Chester. But don't forget one thing. Drunk as he was, he drew to kill you. If you'd given him another second, he would have. You had to shoot him. It was self-defense, pure and simple. Yes, that's sure true, but I... Now, you stay here for a while. I'll be out in the plaza. To say to... Get me one more drink. Word of the gunfight would spread fast in Dodge. And the word of the dying man's confession even faster. Wherever Horn was, I knew he'd hear about it. And since he was a gunman of an entirely different breed from men like Watson and Dorgan, it could be depended on that instead of running, he'd shoot it out with me. It was a simple matter of vanity, and there was no way to stop him. The only thing I could do was wait. Expectantly, the plaza cleared... But before Horn showed up, Chester came out of the Texas Trail and walked over to me. Mr. Dillon? Are uh, you all right now, Chester? I'm fine. But say, I just heard that Horn's gone and got himself a shotgun. Now, is that so? You can't meet him like this. I'll go get you one out of the office. No. But, Mr. Dillon, a shotgun. I know. But if Horn's done that, he's lost his nerve. It means he can't face me any other way. Yeah, but you haven't got a chance against a shotgun. Well, we'll soon find out. There he comes. Oh. He does have a shotgun, Mr. Dillon. All right, get off the street, Chester. I don't like to leave Go you. on. Yes, sir. Marshal. Uh, you're well armed, Horn. Yeah, ain't I? This is the first time, isn't it? First time what? You had to get behind a shotgun? I ain't taking no chances, Marshal. Sure. But from what I've heard, that never bothered you before. Meaning? You're fast enough with a six-gun to have lived this long, Horn. You must be pretty good. But you're through now. You've lost your nerve. You're not a gunman anymore. You're just ordinary dirt common. That's not for that. I could find a dozen men like you in any saloon in town. It was different before, Horn. You kind of stood out a little. But nobody's going to worry about you after this. You think not? You think I need this shotgun? Of course you need it. Everybody can see that. I ain't scared of you, Marshal. I ain't scared of no man alive. Talk's cheap. I ain't talking. There now. Ain't got no shotgun. Now don't you tell me I'm scared. You don't have to draw a horn. You can still take your chances in court. 
He was right, Marshal. I was scared. I ain't no more. Look, I'm giving you a chance. Why don't you take it? Never mind. You all right, Mr. Dillon? Yeah. It's been a long day. Let's go somewhere and try and forget it. Under the direction of Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was especially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Tom Tully, Lawrence Dobkin, Paul Dubov, and Lillian Bayeth. Harley Bear is Chester, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. You have to face facts when you talk about Korea, and the facts are that there are more than 35,000 war orphans in Korea. They not only have no parents, but they have no shelter, no warm clothing, no food. They are not responsible for their condition, and some of them can remember no other. Their government tries to help, but the best it can do is a cup or two of rice a day for each. Other Korean war refugees cannot shelter them. Often they can hardly care for their own children. Because these orphans have not had food and have been exposed to all kinds of weather, many of them have tuberculosis. They are all weak from hunger and an easy prey to disease. Yet people over there, like the representatives of CARE, the package-sending relief agency, Say many of these children can be saved if they get food and clothing now. CARE has stockpiles over there. An order or contribution will send them to those most in need. Package delivery is guaranteed. To save the kids of Korea, send a contribution to your local CARE office or to CARE New York or CARE Los Angeles. Some people wake up like this. And some people wake up like this. Come on, you lazy bum. Get out of that sack. But nine million people prefer to wake up to music, to a breakfast symphony, a popular singer, or news. Because nine million people have clock radios that turn themselves on in the morning. How do you like to wake up? America now wakes up to nine million clock radios and listens most to the CBS radio network.
a Christian sci-fi with adventure, drama, and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Anira's Assignment. Anira Henderson was used to dealing with every kind of trauma in her job as an emergency room tech. Then, the disaster that wiped out her family, except for her brother Jarl, landed tragedy squarely on her own lap. In the midst of her grief, she is recruited to join an elite force of universe healers. Fixing radically broken things has always been her life's dream. But, this just took it to a whole new level. Read Quantum Spacewalker, and Nira's Assignment by Grace S. Gross. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Danny Dollar. This is the Countess D'Atolia. Oh, yes. My maid tells me that you were trying to reach me by telephone. That's right, Countess. I want to talk to you. Where are you now? At my residence, of course. Did you think I might come running immediately to your hotel, Mr. Dollar? Not after hearing your description. I'm seldom that lucky. What is it exactly that you wish to talk about? A hundred thousand dollars worth of diamonds and a dead man. I'm a special investigator. I for know the... who you are. I investigate before I call you. Wow. Not only beautiful, but clever. This ought to be interesting. I'm afraid I don't entirely understand your uh, flippancy. Then suppose I come over and explain it to you. Say around eight o'clock? I'll make a definite effort to be here. You know something, Countess? I think it's about time somebody built a small fire right under that lovely little complacency of yours. I'll be there at eight with matches. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Algiers, North Africa, to the Home Office Transworld Fidelity Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Larco Diamonds Matter. Expense account continued. Item four, $6.80, dinner and appetizers. I'm never any good trying to spar with a lovely female suspect on an empty stomach. I was finishing up on black Algerian coffee and white Algerian brandy when a slightly green-eyed Algerian police inspector sauntered up to my table. Bonjour, Monsieur Dollar. You special investigators really do live well. In the lap of luxury. Pull up a chair, Inspector. Join me in a sarsaparilla. It is on your expense account. Pay my guests. Uh, merci, Monsieur. Ah, bon, bon. My favorite brand. Help yourself. Merci. Anything new? Mm, nothing at all. A complete impasse. What about the man who sat next to that courier on the plane? Find out anything about him? I'm still working on it, which is to say, of course, my men are working on it. Uh, you police inspectors really do live well. I have to do my own legwork. Ah, but the glory, Monsieur Dollar, to come into a mysterious affair which has all the local police baffled and to solve it immediately in one brilliant feat of deduction, to leave everyone gasping with admiration, to make one's exit to the sound of great applause. Not so fast, Inspector. I'm still back there with that brilliant feat of deduction. You have not yet found this solution? Uh, just on the verge. Ah. Then I will drink to your success. Uh, with your brandy, of course, and with your permission. Go ahead, drink up a storm. But I'm afraid I'll have to leave you pretty soon, but you can still go No, ahead. no, 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 monsieur. I suggest you change your plans. You will learn nothing which has any bearing on this matter. Which plan do you mean? That of questioning the Countess de Atelier. 
Now, who found that out? As a matter of fact, she phoned me and inquired about you. Ah, so that's how she investigated me. Went straight to headquarters. Ah, me, we, me, we. Remarkable woman. Talented, beautiful. Et cetera, et cetera, and so on. And along with it, it's nine to one. She's in it right up to her pretty neck. Ah, no, 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 no. She's really not the type. Hmm, this is an excellent brandy, monsieur. Uh, an Algerian brand. All right, Inspector, let's bypass the byplay and lay them out face up. I think I prefer it to cognac. I don't know how she does it, but she's got you hypnotized. Just mention of her name and you go into a tailspin. Every cockeyed one of you. Exquisite. Love. Maybe so, but in my book, she's a real suspect. Uh, Elucidate, monsieur. Well, that's simple enough. She's the only person in Algiers, that we're sure of at least, who knew that a shipment of diamonds was coming in on that plane. Why? Because she's the one who ordered it. Monsieur, it is even simpler. She could not have poisoned the courier because she was not on that plane. She could not have stolen the briefcase from the customs property agent because it was done by a man. So, where is your case? An accomplice, a man, with the countess calling the shots for him. What man, monsieur? You got a good point there. (laughs) Merci bien. Don't mention it. But from the influence she seems to have, it might be any man in Algiers. Inspector, it wasn't you by any chance. Hmm. You raise a very interesting point. Now, suppose the Countess should ask me to kill someone for her. I wonder what I would do. A page boy came into the dining room looking for me. I followed him out and took the phone call in the hotel lobby. It was the American consulate with some information I'd asked for them earlier. I hung up finally and looked at my watch. I was already late for my appointment with the Countess. So I walked out the door of the hotel and flagged a taxi to the apartment of the Countess de Tolia. She lived in the swank Gentil Bois de Loué, a residential district favored by top government officials and wealthy French businessmen. But the building she lived in was a little frayed around the edges, and the maid she'd mentioned was nowhere in sight. The pieces were starting to fit together. Good evening, Mr. Dollar. Countess? Since you are here, won't you come in? Thanks. This way, please. I'm rather surprised that you came. I was really not expecting you. Yes, I know. Did uh, Inspector Marcus find you? Uh, look, suppose we get it straight right now. You seem to have a lot of influence with the inspector, and probably with his superiors, too, from what I hear. Sit down, Mr. Dollar. Thanks. Well, do we play cat and mouse for a while, or do you want to give up right now, hand them over, and, as they say, throw yourself on the mercy of the court? I would like a cigarette. You could always claim that you fell in with evil companions or that a man led you astray. They're in the box there by your elbow. A tall, thin man, for instance, with his collar turned up and his hat pulled down, carrying a gun when last seen after slugging a customs agent at the Algiers airport. Mr. Dollar, are you opposed to smoking on moral grounds? No, but I'm opposed to murder. Have a cigarette? Thank you. Light? Is there any other way of smoking, then? (laughs) Mr. Dollar, I expected you to come here and be annoying, but I didn't know you were going to be insulting as well. That's just my mean personality. You seem to be under the ridiculous impression that I actually had something to do with this crime. I think you had plenty to do with it. A sort of uh, arch criminal, perhaps? Or what is it you call them in the States? Uh, Big shot? Oh, Countess, you're a scream. I'll bet that courier died laughing. If you have a reason for these opinions, or believe you have a reason... I think you'd better tell me about it. Otherwise, good night. Oh, I I have more than one reason. 
In the first place, I'm not certain that anyone besides you even knew the diamonds were being sent here. Except for the Lorco Company, of course, and they wouldn't be likely to advertise it. Mr. Dollar, all of my friends and most of my acquaintances have known for three weeks that I'd ordered that jewelry. Oh. Well, I have a copy here of a letter that was sent to you by registered airmail from the Lorco Company in Amsterdam a week ago today. According to post office records, you received it two days later. Remember it? Yes, I remember. It states the name, flight number, and time of arrival of that courier who was murdered. I said I remember And it cautions you specifically not to give that information to anybody. So even if other people did know, you're the only one who knew the exact time the diamonds were coming in and exactly who was bringing them. All right. Perhaps I am at fault in a way. There was a cocktail party at the government club the same evening I got the letter. I forgot for a moment and told someone about it. Who? Just a girl I happened to be talking What's to. What's her name? It doesn't matter. She was just stopping over on a world cruise. Anybody else here? I don't know. The place was packed. Government men, business people, army, navy officers. Anyone might have heard. Uh-huh. Was Inspector Marcus at the party by any chance? Yes, I spoke with him during the evening. Mr. Dollar, I'll admit I was wrong, but there is hardly grounds for... All right, let's get to point three. The Countess Maria D'Atalia, Italian by birth, title inherited, old family, goes back through one line, in fact, to Lucretia Borgia. I did not poison the courier. Your family estates were confiscated by Mussolini. Family migrated to Bizerti, and then to Lisbon for three years. You left them there and went on to London. Since the war, you've lived in Paris, on the Riviera, back to London, Mallorca, and finally here. Have you been following me, Mr. Dollar? The consular was pretty thorough. Anyway, you're well known in the international set, accepted everywhere, and apparently able to get along fine on your title and your looks. It's not very pleasant to be dissected while one is still alive. As a matter of fact, your flat broke. You've been living on credit for the last four months. I think you have gone about far enough. And yet three weeks ago, you ordered $100,000 worth of jewelry sent to you on approval. How did you plan to pay for it? Get out. Or did you know you wouldn't have to pay for it because it was never going to be delivered? Get out of here. I don't have to listen to this. I don't have to answer your insulting questions. My private affairs are my own concern. The ice finally melted, and now you're going to blow your top. Get out, or so help me, I'll kill you. You mean me, too? You... Oh, no, hey, put that down. Don't throw that. Why, you little devil. Stay back. Let go of me. Settle down, then. And stop throwing things. I will do as I please. It is my house. So far as... Good Lord. A woman who can even cry beautifully. Oh, leave me alone. Oh, you're unbelievable, baby. The boys were right. You're everything they said you were. Oh, it's too bad. Go away. All right. But before I do... What are you... No, don't, don't... Why did you kiss me? Oh, beats me. Just call it a sudden impulse. Then you have changed your mind. You don't really think I'm guilty. Oh, honey, I still think you're in this up to your ears. And I'll still bring you to trial if I can. And I still want to kiss you. You figure it out. Why oh, figure, Johnny? I liked it too. 
<laughs> you ought to be locked up. If for no other reason, just to protect the guys who... What is it, Johnny? What are you going... That cigarette in the ashtray. Put it out fast. Get the windows open, all of them. Where's your kitchen? Back through the hall. Johnny, what are you going to do? Stay alive if I can. It was gas fumes, one of the bottled gases they use for cooking in the higher-priced apartment districts. The concentration had been building up and finally seeped into the drawing room. If we'd lit another match, we'd have been blown to bits. The kitchen was dark, but I didn't dare snap a light switch. One spark would do it. So I held my breath and followed the sound and finally found the range. Every burner valve was wide open. I could vaguely make out a glass chain door opening onto a terrace. I grabbed a breath of air and moved toward another door that looked as though it might open into a hall. It didn't. It opened into a closet, and on the closet floor there was a body. Johnny, why did you go... Johnny, who's that? He's a man from the Lorco Company. Name is Zeindorf. Zeindorf? But where did you find Out him? Out there on the floor of a closet. Why? What was he doing here? You tell me. I don't understand it. He has no business here. What is wrong with him, Johnny? Well, right at the moment, he seems to be a little bit dead. There'll be another intriguing episode in our story of the Lorco Diamonds matter tomorrow. Tomorrow, a desperate fight in an Algiers alley, a killer is named, and a lovely lady confesses her shame. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon. Last week, you remember, King Voltan received a call from one of Khan's lieutenants, telling him of the plight of Flash, Dale, and Khan, and asking for help. Dr. Zarkoff was at once dispatched with an army and some ray cannon to the rescue of our three friends. In the meantime, Dale and Khan planned to obey all orders so they might get the freedom of the palace 
and hoped to be able to free Flash from the clutches of Queen Azura. For a brief moment, Dale talked with Flash, who, although he didn't recognize her, pitied the beautiful girl chained to the kitchen stove and promised to ask the Queen to free her. Before he could gain Azura's consent, Carl interrupted the conference with the news that the land was being invaded by the Hawkmen. Azura called out the army and asked Flash to be commander-in-chief. This angered Tall, who wanted that distinguished place for himself. These thrilling adventures come to you as they are pictured each Sunday in the Comic Weekly, the world's greatest pictorial supplement of humor and adventure. The big Comic Weekly, each page printed in full colors, is distributed everywhere as an integral part of your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Now we continue the story. Summoned by Azura, legion after legion of blue magic men fall into formation. Flash prepares to assume his new duties as commander-in-chief. Azura, how large is your army? I do not know exactly. Then the first thing to be done is to review the regiment. I must know what strength of armed men I have at my disposal. Very well. Come under this balcony, Flash. From here, you will have a good view of the parade ground. Azura, I wish to have your army... Our army, my prince. Our army pass in review. Will you give the order, please? When I asked you to become commander-in-chief, I gave you full command of the armed forces. Thank you. Carl? Sire. Send word for formation past this balcony. As you command, sire. Serving as your commander-in-chief is a pleasure, Azura, but it is also a great responsibility. Not too great for you, my noble prince. I shall do all in my power to prove worthy of your faith. to review. See, the first legion is squealing and starting its way. What a splendid army. We ought to defeat these hawk men, whoever they are. Here comes the finest of them all, the advanced guard. And those coming next, what are they? The light magic artillery. But what are those tremendous objects being pulled by the next legion? Those are the combustion ray machines. Combustion ray machines? What are they for? Wait until you get into action. Your officers will tell you. You're not only a queen of magic, my beautiful one, but you're also a queen of suspense. What legion is this? Sleep gas. Sleep gas. That sounds like a most formidable weapon. And here comes the stone formation legion. And the ones with the cloak? The invisibility legion. And those? The camouflage legion. Who are the ones with the long hair? The animal legion. And those men with the peculiar shields? The transparent wall legion. And those machines coming now? The dissolvo gun legion. And still they come. Legion after legion. I've never seen such an army. You have seen enough, sire. Only about half of our regiment have gone by. If this is only half of the army, Carl, I pity these hawkmen when I start the attack. While Flash is looking over his army, Prince Zarkov is in conference with Mar, one of the Hawkmen's officers. We must find out if Flash and Dale and Khan are still alive before we make any rash attacks, Mark. You are quite right, Commander Zarkov. Turn on your spacecraft and let us see what we can see. Look, Commander, there's a large rock. It must be the rock which is blocking the entrance of the cave, through which Flash, Dale, and Captain Khan disappeared. We cannot see beyond it. 
There is only one thing to be done. Blast it out of our way. Shall I order the battery of Ray Cannon into position? At once. Swing the battery of Ray Cannon into position. Aim for the rock. I hope we are not too late to save them. Oh, I hope not too. Captain Conn is too good an officer and friend to lose. Ready with the range? They have found the range, Commander. You may fire. Fire! Look, the rock is spinning. That's not it. The rock is destroyed. Come on. Let us try the spatograph again. Nothing but haze. The country is well named. Blue Magic Land. Foiled by that witch queen. Mark, there is only one thing left now. And what is that, Commander? Call for a volunteer to go into the territory of the Blue Magic Men and find out the information we wish. Of course. A spy. Commander, I myself will go. No. We cannot spare you, Mark. Send one of the private. No, Commander. I will not ask any of my men to do what I would not do myself. You are a brave man and a fine officer. I shall speak to King Bhutan about promoting you when I return to his palace. Thank you, Commander. As Dura has thrown up a protective and impenetrable fog against our spacecraft, but we may be able to beat her yet. And how do you propose to do that, Commander? It is simple, simple. Mar, you will disguise yourself as a peddler and gain entrance to the Queen's palace. Well, how? Say that you wish to enter her service. Inside your peddler's pack, you will have a portable space phone. Oh, Commander, you have my utmost admiration. It is the plan of a genius, a super strategist. When you have found out the information we seek, establish contact with me here, and I shall proceed on your report. Very good, Commander. When shall I start on my mission? At once. Commander, I shall give you the information or my life. Next day, Tal is called to the gates of Azura's palace to question a peddler who has asked admittance. Uh, who are you? I am a poor peddler, footsore, weary, and hungry. Uh, I seek shelter, O oh, noble sire. I am Tal, chief magician to Her Majesty, Queen Azura. I bow before you, great Tal. Uh, oh, mighty wizard, let me enter the service of the queen. You will find in me a zealous neophyte. Uh, you are a peddler. Why are you so anxious to change your profession? I can hardly make a living. Soon I shall have to turn beggar. Let me devote my life to being of some use to the queen. Oh, you, you might be of use. Uh, what is your name? Why, come, come. If you accept me into your household and give me a new life, let me take on a new name also. Let my name die with my path. Oh, very well. I I will open the gate. Bless you, mighty Tall. Bless you. Oh, now, come this way. I will take you to the kitchen and give you food. Oh, yes. Um, you uh, bring some soup to this man. At once, oh, mighty wizard. Oh, sit down, stranger. Uh, let me take your pack. No, no, no. Well, you needn't take my head off. I wasn't going to steal it. I only intended to have it put in your quarters. I I am grateful, mighty tall. Mm. But all I own is in this bundle, and I should feel lost without it. Here is the... Uh, look out! Look! Don't spill that soup. 
That would be wasteful when I am so hungry. Yes, yes, you clumsy fool. There must be no waste of the food around here. Do you know what happened to the girl when she dropped her tray in front of the queen? I ask pardon, almighty tall. It was my anxiety to please that caused my hands to tremble. See that it does not happen again, slave. Eat your fill, stranger, while I go to find out where Her Majesty wishes me to put you. Smart. Someone may hear you. Oh, you are safe, Captain Khan. Thanks be to Tao. Yes. What are you doing here? How did you get here? Where are the rest of our men? One question at a time, Captain. I was sent here by Prince Zarkov to find out what happened to you and Flash and Dale. Where are the other two? Dale is at the other end of the kitchen, chained to the stove. And Flash... He is not... No, he isn't dead. Oh. But drugged. He doesn't recognize either Dale or me. Azura has cast a spell over him. Oh, if I were only free... Don't curse your face, Captain Khan. I'm here to help bring aid. How can you? Once you get in here, they never let you out. I don't need to get out in order to bring aid. What? What do you mean? In this bundle, I have a portable space phone. Ah. Over it, I'm going to report to Zarkov everything I find out. Then hurry and send a message. Tell him we are alive and that he must come quickly. They seem to be mobilizing the army for an attack. Well, where can I go to send it? Tal may come back any minute. Let us go where Dale is. She can watch for Tal's return. We can put the ground wire of the space phone outside the grilled window, and there will be less interference. Come along. Where are you two going? The peddler feels faint in this heat. I am helping him to that window yonder where he may get a breath of air. All right. Go ahead. Come on, you slaves. Get to work. Oh, that was a close call, Captain. Yes. We must work fast. Dale. Yes, Tom? What is it? Oh. This this is Captain Ma. He has been sent by Prince Zarkov to find out about us. Oh, Captain Ma, I'm so glad you've come. Are you going to get us out of here? I hope so, Princess. But first I must report to Zarkov by space phone. Dale, go over there as far as your chain will let you. Watch for Tal or the guard. I will watch from here while Mars sets up his machine. At once. The coast is clear. Hurry! Captain Mar calling Prince Zarkov. Captain Marr calling Prince Zarkov. Captain Marr calling Prince Zarkov. Captain Marr calling Prince Zarkov. At the same time, Prince Zarkov, in the far-off kingdom of the Hawkmen, is trying to establish a space phone connection. Zarkov calling Captain Marr. Zarkov calling Captain Marr. No answer, Prince Zarkov. No answer. He should have arrived, and we should have received a report by now. The blue magic men are marching to attack us, Prince Zarkov. Sentry, at just sight of them. Bring me my distance glasses. Here, Prince Zarkov. Ah, I see them. And there's Flash on horseback. They must have tied the man and are using him to bait us into attacking them. Very well, we shall call their bluff. Coiner, order the first company of lancers to charge. Lancers, the greatest flyers in the Hawkmen army, circle to a dizzy height and at a signal from their leader, fold their wings and dive for Azura's army. Down at the head of the armed blue magic men, Flash and Azura watch the diving Hawkmen. Here come the Hawkmen, my prince. I see them, Azura. 
I'm just wondering which battery I shall train on them. I suggest you use the guns of the combustion rain machine. What will happen if I do? Order them used and see. Very well. Holman, swing the combustion ray guns into action. What is the secret of the great combustion ray machine? Will the gallant Hawkmen under Professor Zarkoff be able to overcome it and rescue Flash Gordon and Dale Arden? In next Sunday's Comic Weekly, which is a part of your Hearst Sunday newspaper, you will find a full-colored picture of the combustion ray machine. Also a thrilling action picture of the Hawkmen in battle formation. See if you can guess how the combustion ray machine works and what will happen to the Hawkmen. And besides Flash Gordon, you'll find all your old friends waiting to entertain you in the Comic Weekly. Full-color pictures of the merriest funny men and bravest adventurers ever assembled in all picture magazines. Think of it, bringing up Father, the Little King, Polly and her pals, the Katzenyammer Kids, Jungle Jim, Tips and Casper, Barney Google, Good Old Skippy, Mickey Mouse, and many, many others. Yes, they'll all be there with new pranks and more thrilling adventures to entertain you. For the Comic Weekly is the world's biggest and best pictorial supplement of fun and adventure. So once more we suggest you get the big Comic Weekly with your Hearst newspaper next Sunday. Study the Flash Gordon pictures and see if you can guess what will happen when Professor Zarkoff and his gallant Hawkmen come face to face with the combustion ray machine. Be sure to listen for the answer next week at this time when we will present another chapter in the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon. Into Shadows Fire, the second book in the world of Strangers and Pilgrims. A fast-paced story of the continuing battle between light against dark and learning about the past will help fight against the shadows of the future. Over a decade has passed since the FTL ship has returned and John Vega and Nicolay Dan have once again joined the effort known now as the Union of Light to fight the newly formed Paganic Imperium. On the world of Sulia, help is needed. The Union must help save the people of the city of Galgani from being tortured and killed because of their beliefs. They must flee their city and begin an exodus across the stars. But the Empire will not let them go that easily, for they are the chosen people of the Lord of Light. But first, they must find a fleet of their own. Thermani Electric escaped with the Bathshi from the Shadow World and is now the Emperor of the Imperium. The only person he trusts, Sashiana makes her way back with the others only to question her own soul. As he remembers his own past and hearing of Sashiana's return, he is encouraged that now he can take his place in the galaxy. Look for Into Shadows Fire, pick it up at your favorite online bookstore. Title, Foundation, Foundation and Empire, Second Foundation, Author, Isaac Asimov. Part number seven. Past title, The Mule Finds.
Encyclopedia Galactica 116th edition. Entry, Calgan. The Mule's regime, using the planet Calgan as its capital, took on a more conservative and arguably more constructive aspect. The rate of expansion by conquest was greatly reduced. The Mule's government of anonymous bureaucrats concerned itself with consolidating its control of territory already held. Various economic and educational reform programs were introduced. The program of emotional control was virtually perfected and made total, with a small number of deliberate exceptions. The so-called permitted free thinkers. The mule himself grew increasingly obsessed with the search for the second foundation, despite popular doubts as to its existence. General Pritchard, be seated. Sir. We have now completed the five-year survey to find the second foundation. I have just read your final report and summary. It is disappointing, Pritchard. Yes, sir. I, I, I know. I can't see any other conclusion than the one I reached. Of all the evidence we have, sir, there is no second foundation. And the evidence of Evelyn Meese? Sir, Mies was working under the artificial stimulation of your brain control. You may have pushed him too far, giving him a feeling of confidence, of achievement, that was really just the delusion of a disintegrating brain. He could have been wrong, sir. No, he knew. He knew the answer. And if he had lived one more minute, he would have told me. Five years of effort need not have been wasted. Sir, I... We have searched everywhere. Every single planet, every asteroid. The second foundation has had 300 years to grow and to make its influence felt. The first foundation was a galactic power within 100 years. But after 300 years, there's still no sign of the second foundation. Surely that points to one conclusion, that it does not exist. It exists. It exists. Secretly, yes, but it exists. Pritchard, I have decided on a change of tactics for the search. You will go out again, sir, for the last time. But this last time, you will share the command. Share it with, with, with who, a sir? young man called Bale Chance. I've never heard of him, sir. No, I imagine not. But he is intelligent very ambitious, and he is not converted. I fail to see the advantage of that, sir. There is one advantage. You are an experienced and resourceful man, General, but you are converted. Your motivation is simply an enforced and helpless loyalty to me. When you lost your own natural motivations, feelings, you lost something else, some drive, some subtle instinct that I cannot replace. Chanis still has that because he is free. He is still himself. Uh, sir, I can remember myself quite well as I was before when I was your enemy. I, I don't feel inferior now. I've gained a lot and I've lost nothing. 
Yes, but your judgment is scarcely objective, Pritchard. This man, Chance, is personally ambitious. He is quite trustworthy because of that. He knows that by increasing my power, he increases his own. That ambition, that self-seeking, could give him a slight edge in the search. But then why not remove my own conversion, sir, if you think it would improve me? Never, Pritchard, never. If I were to release you now, you'd kill me. Sir, that is unthinkable. Yes, as long as you remain converted. But the human mind resents control, Pritchard. Believe me, if I were to release you now, I would face the hatred you do not now show, which you do not even know you possess. But, but how can you trust this Chinese completely if he is not converted? I cannot. That's why you will go with him. Ah, yes. You see, Pritchard, if he should stumble on the second foundation, it might appear to him that an arrangement with them might be more profitable than loyalty to me. That's when your presence would be important. Do you see? I do, sir. But be careful with him, Pritchard. Chanis is intelligent, charming, and quite unscrupulous. Do not get in his way until and unless you're certain and prepared. You may leave. Sir. Chanis, you may enter. there is a second foundation. It would make the galaxy so much more interesting. You are interested in it, are you? By the mystery of it, yes. The secrecy. And what do you think about the theory that the second foundation can stay secret because it consists of pure mind? Not physical power, but mind power. I don't believe it, sir. A civilization with any kind of power would use that power for its own good. The second foundation remains hidden, not exercising any power, simply because it hasn't got any power to exert. I think it's probably weaker than we think. Chanis, how would you like to head an expedition to locate the second foundation? Well, uh, I'd like it. But where am I to go? Is there some new evidence? Where you go would be entirely up to you. You'd be free to follow your instinct to play your hunches. You accept? Yes, sir, willingly. Good. General Pritchard will be with you on the mission. I thought you said I was to head the expedition. General Pritchard has experience which could be useful to you. And because he's converted, you can trust him? No, Chief. Quite the opposite. Hmm? Because Pritchard is converted and because he is my closest aide, he is actually a risk. That's why I could not send him alone. I don't understand, sir. Of course you don't. Actually, you understand much less than you like to believe, Janice. Listen. I know the second foundation exists. I know. And not because of what Ebling Meese always told me. 
because the second foundation has already begun to attack. What? Minds which were under my control have been tampered with. Delicately, of course, quite subtly, but not so subtly that I didn't notice. And this influence is slowly increasing. It is affecting important men at important times. Perfectly loyal and capable servants of mine have failed to carry out my wishes to the letter. The men concerned were quite unaware of their negligence. But I noticed. Pritchard is my most valuable servant. A principal target for the second foundation. That's why I need you. To watch him. You may not be seen to be one of my people. Because you are not converted. You understand now? Yes, sir. But suppose it were not the second foundation that was doing this. Suppose there was another like yourself. Another mutant? No! The planning is too careful. Too long range. Six important minds have been tampered with in the past five years. That indicates a patience beyond a single mutant. A single mutant would be impatient with a single lifetime to achieve his ambitions. No, Chanis. It is a whole world. A civilization. And you are my weapon against it. Hmm. When do I start? As soon as you wish. General Pritchard is ready and waiting. And Chanice. Sir? You are already thinking of the rewards of success. A unique service would deserve a unique reward. As my successor, perhaps. Imagine yourself as ruler of the galaxy, heir to the mule. If you succeed, your ambitions would be satisfied. But remember, Chanis, the reward is unique, but the punishment for treason is unique. I would take your mind, Chanis, slowly. And to be sure you understand. <laughs> Anger won't help you, Chanis. Yes, you are concealing it, but I can see it. Remember, I have killed men by emotional control. That will be all, Chanis. Gentlemen. I have called this meeting of the Guardians to inform you of an important decision and to give you the opportunity to question it. Thanks to our negligence, the Mule came perilously close to discovering us in the library of Trantor. It was no credit to us that he was frustrated then. You all know the price we have paid. For the first time since our foundation, we have come out of hiding. We have made our existence more than just a suspicion by the interference with certain of the mule's highly placed creatures. 
Our agents tell us that this interference with the mule's control has not gone unnoticed. The situation is now highly unstable. We are faced with an irreversible breakdown of the plan. It is therefore necessary now for us to take the one solution open to us. The mule wants to find us. We must allow him to do so. In a sense, I repeat, in a sense. Be patient, Pritchard. I've just finished weeding my way through your reports. And? It's all very thorough. I can't help feeling that your approach, a general planet-by-planet survey, was a little aimless. You have a better method, no doubt. I think so, yes. I've been working on more specific lines. I've asked myself, what is the second foundation? What physical conditions are they likely to have chosen? And then... Which places in the galaxy fit the needs of the Second Foundation? As you imagine. That's right. I've used imagination. I realize that your controlled mind will distrust imagination, assuming you even remember what it means. Janice, have you come to any conclusion? I've come to a very clear conclusion. We're going to go to the planet Tarzenda. Oh, Janice. Is that the best you can do? We've checked Tarzenda four years ago. Yes, but you might not have been looking for the right thing. Oh, all right. Why Tarzenda? First, what would the Second Foundation need? They do not have physical power, atomic weapons, massive fleets of ships such as we have. Yes, yes. But they can't be completely helpless physically. I think they probably control some other planets, primitive civilizations. So I started to look for a cluster of planets where a central world dominated the surrounding, more backward planets. It's a fairly long list, I admit, but there are other conditions. Seldon said the second foundation was at Star's End. Which has never been located. No, but haven't you noticed, Pritchard? Star's End. Star's End. Yes. If that's your only reason for picking Star's End. No, it's not my only reason. Come over here. Now, look at this. That is the winter sky as seen from Trantor. That's something you ignored in your search, I think, that all intelligent orientation must start from Trantor. Selden lived, worked, and planned on Trantor. What are you trying to show me, Janice? The projector will explain. You see that dark nebula there? Yes. The stellographical records call it Pele's Nebula. Watch it. I'm going to expand the image. Now, you'll notice that we're moving along a direct line from Trantor to Pele's Nebula. So, in effect, we're still looking at a stellar orientation equivalent to that of Trantor. Right. That there is known locally as the mouth. 
it's significant because only from the Trantorian orientation does it look like a mouth. Now, follow the mouth down towards the gut. See, it narrows down so that eventually it's just that thin sliver of light. And there, right at the end, you can see how thin the nebula is. The light of that final star flickers back in just that one direction to shine on Trantor. And that star picture is Tars Enka, Star's End. Oh, I've checked on what's known about Tazenda. The answer is not much. It keeps itself to itself. It's an oligarchy ruling seven neighboring planets, all of them agricultural with low population densities. It is not scientifically advanced. It has always adhered to a neutral position in any interstellar dispute, and it is not expansionist. The last fact alone would make it worth a closer look. Imagine, Pritchard, a civilization that is not expansionist. Have you informed the mule of all this? No. I don't need to tell the mule every time I breathe. We are at this moment on course for Tarzenda. Uh, by whose order? By my order, General. We leave now because we were supposed to leave in three days' time. You don't believe in the second foundation? I do. You can only obey the mule's orders without faith. I recognize a serious danger. The second foundation have had five years to prepare. They may have agents on Calgary. If I carry the knowledge of the location of the second foundation in my mind, these agents may discover it. So, we are in space, and the only other person who knows about Tarzenda is you. And you are certainly no agent of the Second Foundation. Are you, Pritchard? No. Oh. Good. Well done. However, you will consult me in future before making decisions of this nature. General. Excuse me, sir. What is it, Hoopsalani? I made the equipment inspection, as you are, sir. Good. And? Yes. Could we speak somewhere more private, sir? Oh, huh? You found something? Yes, sir. This. Behind the automatic navigator. Hmm. <laughs> Neat, isn't it? What's it called? It's a hypertracer, sir. The most recent design. What does it do in simple language? It allows the ship to be tracked even through hyperspace, sir. In other words, whoever's got the twin of this one would know exactly where we were anywhere in space. Yes, sir. Ah. Well, interesting. There is something else, sir. This model was developed in the Mules Research Institute. Ah, I believe it's still a government secret. I mean, I don't think anyone else has anything so sophisticated except our master, the mule. <laughs> and yet here it is, planted on one of the mule's own ships. How do you explain that, Hoxalani? I don't understand it, sir. But I hope it doesn't mean that I... Uh, well, I'm converted, you see, sir. Relax, Hoxalani, you've done nothing wrong. I told you to make the search, and you've done it. Well... 
You were only obeying orders. Now, take it and put it back exactly where you found it. Understand? And then forget the whole incident, Hookslani. Forget it completely. Yes. Yes, sir. Understand? Yes. Forget it completely. Right. Yes, yes, what, what is it? Channers here, Pritchard. Sorry to disturb your sleep, but we're moving in towards the Tarzenda system. Yes, well, uh, wake me when the ship lands. The ship won't be landing. What? We're going down alone, Pritchard. Just you and me in a capsule. The ship can stay in space, just in case there's any trouble. Oh, yes. Well, all right. I'll, uh, I'll be with you immediately. Hookslani, can you hear me? Loud and clear, sir. Good. Tell the pilot to remain in deep orbit around the planet and make sure you're always available on the communicator. Looks pretty desolate down there, Janice. Yes. I don't recognize anything. Uh, hey, wait a minute. That's not Tarzenda. Quite right, it's not. I thought it might be a little reckless to land right in the middle of the second foundation. Janice, where are we landing? A little agricultural planet called Rossum. Oh. One of the farm worlds that services Tarzenda. Yes. No, I, right, Janice. No objection. I do realize it must be difficult for you trying to keep up with a mind that's free. Right. Down we go. received confirmation. Thank you. So the mule is on his way. Yes. We are taking a risk. But if everything adheres to the function set up, we will succeed. The mule is not an ordinary man. It is difficult to influence the minds he controls, even at this distance without his noticing. But not all minds are controlled by him. Some are still free. But so few are in positions of authority. Systems off. Check positive. Busy screen on. Busy screen on. Well, what do we do now? We don't do anything. Just wait. We must have been tracked on the way down. Should be someone here to meet us soon. Oh, good. Probably put us up against a wall and blast us. Don't judge others by your own standards, Pritchard. Remember, this is part of the second foundation. 
They use their minds here. Ah, look, here they come. Don't look too fierce, do they? They're old men. Not even soldiers. Not even armed. Well, let's go and meet them. Come in peace. Oh, we don't doubt it. Welcome to Rossem. Welcome indeed. We are the local elders. Uh, if you care to come with us, we can offer you our willing hospitality. Thank you. Thank you both. It's lucky for us you were close by to welcome us. Oh, nothing lucky about it. We were expecting you. Really? Yes, the governor said you'd be coming. Uh, keep an eye out for visitors, he said. Don't be so suspicious. How did he know we were coming? I don't know. The only way to find out is to go with him. Uh, gentlemen, uh, will you come with us? Gentlemen. Ah. The governor of Rossum, in the name of the lords of Tazenda, will see you now. If you'd like to follow me. Yes. Your Excellency, our visitors. Thank you, friend. Uh, you may go. Your Excellency, honored visitors. Your Excellency, thank you for receiving us at such short notice. I hope we're not interrupting your work. No, no, not, not at all. The fact is, I'm glad of any interruption. I'm pleased to be seated. Thank you. A drink? Uh, yes, please. And you? No. Thank you. Well, please yourself. To you. Ah. To you. Mm. Ah, that's better. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes, always glad of interruptions. You see, the fact is, it's not much of a job, really, governing a place like Rossum. Very quiet, you know, very quiet. Farmers, that's all we have here. But since you are here, I, I wonder if you could tell me something about yourself, whereabouts you come from, that kind of thing, I, I have to fill in the usual forms, you know. Your <laughs> routine, of course. Oh, we understand, Your Excellency. We come from a small world in the Santani sector. Oh, do you? Ah, well, that's, uh, that's quite a long way from here, I imagine. Yes, Excellency, it is. Yeah. And yet your transportation appears to be rather small. That's just a surface-to-ship capsule, sir. Ah. Our ship has remained in space, waiting for us. So it's your ship that's orbiting the planet, is it? Yes, sir. We felt that to land with such a large ship, so heavily armed, we thought that might perhaps give rise to doubts about our peaceful intentions. <laughs> <laughs> so we preferred to land alone, unarmed. Well, that's very considerate of you. Yes. But um, 
Now uh, we know you're peaceful, and now you know you're welcome here. <laughs> uh, perhaps you'd like to bring your ship down into our space dock. We have quite good maintenance and repair facilities there, and I'm sure your crew would welcome the rest. Ah, forgive us, Your Excellency, but I'm afraid the ship has to stay where it is. It's traditional for our large ships to remain in space. It's an old custom with us. Is it really? Well, uh, perhaps you could give me some hint of the purpose of your visit to Rossum. Certainly, sir. We are very interested in establishing trade relations. Trade relations? Look, Captain... Um, uh, uh, Captain Channis, sir. Uh, Channis, yes. Look, the fact is I don't know a great deal about trade. I'll have to refer back to Tazenda. If you could... Wait here for a few days. Well, perhaps we could go on to Tarzenda, sir, and inquire directly there. Ah, no, 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 Captain Channis. It would be much better if you just waited here. Large foreign ships are not encouraged to visit Tarzenda. It's an old custom of ours. Yes. Well, we'll wait here, then. Oh, good, good. And, uh... Perhaps our local vintages will make any delay seem quite tolerable. Eh? I'm sure they will, Excellency. Thank you. <laughs> One more thing before I open another bottle. Mm? Your silent friend, the abstainer. Perhaps I might know his name. Just for the records, you know, purely routine. Ham Pritchard. Ham Pritchard. Hmm. Right. Now, a fresh bottle, eh? A fresh bottle. Any communications at all yet? None. We wait always. But suppose the second foundation have tried to tamper with my mind. Would I know? Would I feel any different? I didn't feel any different after the mule converted me. The second foundation must be found and destroyed. No hesitation. Hatred. Pure hatred. The mule must be found and... and must be... Good. Good. If I feel absolute loyalty to the mule, nothing else matters. Any communications yet? Yes, sir. Channel open to Calgan. Ready to report, sir. Go ahead, Pritchard. Sir, I think Channis has got us into trouble. We're stuck here on this backward little planet, supposedly waiting for permission to go to Tarzenda. That's all, sir. We're, we're just waiting. Waiting. I, I don't like it. And Janice? Oh, he, he is perfectly happy doing nothing. Seems to think everything's going very well. I don't like that either. I don't trust him, sir. You do not have to trust him. Just be patient. Wait and watch for any sign of the second foundation. Understood? Yes, sir. That's all for the moment, Pritchard. Yes, sir. Ah, pride and joy. 
Take twelve one five five. What do you think? It's very impressive. It is, isn't it? There's something about pigs. They have such such dignity. Oh, and intelligence. Oh, very shrewd animals, pigs. There's something deeply reassuring about being surrounded by hundreds of happy, well-fed pigs. Uh, don't you think? No. They smell. Ah, but what a smell. What an aroma. What a perfume. Perfume? Yes, it's a very individual smell. Oh, oh it clears the mind and soothes the mouth. Uh, see him. Uh, see that one? Mm -hmm. uh, his great-grandfather was the biggest boar ever produced on the whole of Rossum. You don't seem to share our love of food, sir. Pigs smell bad, but taste good. That's all I know about them. All I want to know. Uh, well, then, uh, perhaps we could move on. Uh, we've arranged a little visit to our finest mush farm. Mush? I'm sure you'll enjoy that. What's mush? Have you never eaten mush? To the best of my knowledge, never. Imagine, oh, yes, I never having enjoyed a good dish of mud. I know, I know. And just think, there must be some people on our visitor's world who will live and die without ever having savoured the taste of mud. <laughs> done today. First they introduced us to a crowd of pigs, then they showed us fields of mush. Hey, who are they? The two elders who met us when we landed. They seem to feel it their duty to entertain us while we wait word from Tarzenda. Richard, you will find out more about these elders. For instance, what do they know about the galaxy beyond their world? They don't know anything about anything except wine, pigs, and mush. Uh, they're not interested in anything except wine, pigs, and mush. Richard, you must be patient. Talk to them. Ask them what they know about Tazenda, its system of government, its people, its technology. All right, sir. But I know what their answer will be. Well, uh, our lords live there. I know that. Have you ever seen them? Have you ever uh, been to Tazenda? Oh, we've uh, never been anywhere. Uh, Could you have gone to Tazenda if you'd wanted to? Oh, I don't know. We, we never did want to. So you, in fact, have no real knowledge of Tazenda at all? Well, no. Uh, it's uh, never seemed very important. We send food to Tazenda. Um, pigs, wine, and, and mush, of course. And what do they give you in return? Uh, well, um, uh, they uh, give us government. Yes. Uh, uh, they let us live... Um, live, live in peace. Uh, you don't know. You never ask. You're very easily satisfied, that's all I can say. Yes, and you are not easily satisfied. <laughs> we must seem uh, very ignorant to you, but uh, we are contented, uh, and to us, you seem very clever with your spaceships and your great desire for knowledge or information, but uh, you don't seem contented at all, if I may say so. It's true. You don't seem to be a happy man. 
Why not? I don't like sitting around doing nothing. Good ah. gracious, don't you? Oh, well, I can see how you would be unhappy then. Do you really not enjoy just sitting, thinking? Drinking? Daydreaming? Doing nothing? nothing? I enjoy doing things. Uh, what things? Anything. Uh, I, I enjoy being busy uh, doing things. Oh, well, we do sympathize. We do indeed. Yes, oh, poor man. No wonder you look so, so uh, discontented. Poor man, oh, poor man. Poor doing things. Oh, doing dear, dear, dear. They know nothing about Tazenda, sir. What did you talk about? Just, we, well, they, they feel sorry for me, sir. What? They feel sorry for me. They're ignorant old men living on a boring backward planet with nothing to do all day, nothing to hope for, nothing to work for, fight for. And yet they feel sorry for me. Somehow it makes me feel uneasy. I, I mean, I, I don't... Richard, where is Janice at this moment? He's in his room, sir. What is he doing? Nothing. Just sitting, drinking wine. The time has come for action. Richard, I have something to tell you about Janice. Guardian, a message from the center. We have intersection point. Yes. Good. Very good indeed. Hello, Pritchard. Drink? Get up, Janice. What's the matter? Stop pretending to be drunk and get onto your feet. Keep your hands free where I can see them. I thought we agreed to bring no weapons down here. Janice! You're under arrest for treason to the first citizen of the Union. And your proof? Sit down. <sighs> Tell me, why should the mule send out an untried, uncontrolled person on this search? He wanted to find a second foundation. He and I had both failed. So there was one other course open to him. To find a seeker who already knew the hiding place. I presume that is me. How easily you found Tarzan. How miraculously you examined the correct region of the galaxy. How lucky you were to find a planet which fitted your information. What a successful man you are. Too successful as him? Yes, for a loyal servant of the mule. What do you mean? You are under the mental influence of the second foundation. Without the mule's knowledge? Oh, really, Fritz? With the mule's knowledge, Janice. With the mule's knowledge. Hmm? And you led us both to the second foundation... As you are meant to do. Ah, I see. You think the mule is following us because of that hypertracer on the ship's communication circuit. Ah, you look surprised. Yes, I knew about it too. Now I'll tell you something you don't know about. The mule knows that the minds of some of his converted men have been tampered with. What? Yes, and that is why he needed me, an unconverted man. Didn't he emphasize that even though he didn't give you the real reason? Uh. Try something else, Janice. If I were against the mule, I, I'd, I'd know it. Oh, you may feel loyal, 
loyalty wouldn't be tampered with. But perhaps your mental faculties have been affected. You didn't see the mule plant that hypertracer. You just assumed so. Just as you have assumed the mule is following us. Just as you have assumed that it is the mule you have been communicating with. But it is not the mule who is coming after us. Then who is it? Who do you suppose? Yes, Pritchard. The second foundation wants you. You know more about the Union than anyone except the mule. And you are not dangerous to them while he is. That is why they put the direction of the search into my unconverted mind. I knew that, but I played along with them. They wanted us. We wanted their locations. So why not play their game? Now, give me the blaster. It isn't your mind that's made the decision to kill me. It's the second foundation within your mind. No. Give it to me, Pritchard. Come on, give it to me, and we'll face whatever happens together for the mule. No, Pritchard. Stay just as you are. I was right. It was you following us. He is a traitor. I knew it. Well. I am not a traitor. I may have been mistaken about Pritchard, but I am not a traitor. I thought General Pritchard was under the control of the Second Foundation. You no longer think so. No, I can't, or else you wouldn't be here. Well, let us get this straightened out, shall we? We will not be interrupted, by the way. I've thrown an emotional repulse field around the building. Nobody can break through that without losing his sanity. Now, Chance, how do you explain this odd theory of yours? that it was not really me who was in contact with Pritchard? Sir, I can only suggest that the idea was put into my mind. By the Second Foundation? Well, it must have been. And yet I wasn't aware of any control. I suppose you think now that your idea to come to Descender was also put into your mind by the Second Foundation? I suppose it must have been, sir. But I don't see why. Really, Chef? Really? If I were a traitor and knew the whereabouts of the Second Foundation, you could convert me and learn the knowledge directly. True. If you needed to trace me, then obviously I didn't have the knowledge and so was not a traitor. Your conclusion? I am not and never have been a traitor. Irrefutable. Sir, I can't have been mistaken. There is a third explanation, Pritchard. Do you see it? No. Only one kind of man could both know the location of the Second Foundation and prevent me from learning it. Bale Chanis is, and always was, a loyal member of the Second Foundation. Your evidence? Important minds under my control have been tampered with. The medium of interference had to be unconverted and fairly close to the center of my empire. That left quite a large field to choose from. But you, Chanis, you were a man apart. You were too successful. People liked you too much. Even I liked you. That made me very suspicious. I invited you to lead the expedition to find the Second Foundation. And you were not surprised at the offer, Chanis. I observed your emotion. No man of real competence could have avoided uncertainty at that moment. But your mind showed no uncertainty. That meant you were either a fool or an enemy. And I knew you were not a fool so you were a second foundationer. 
The extraordinary ease with which you decided Tazenda was a second foundation, combined with your very crude rationalization of this choice for Pritchard's benefit, that only confirmed the fact. I knew you were a second foundationer before you left Calgan. The mule must be destroyed! And now, mind to mind, we communicate our way. You are between two fires, first citizen. You cannot control two minds simultaneously, not when one of them is mine. Pritcher is free of his conversion now. He is the old Pritcher, the one who tried to kill you once. And he knows you have defaced him to helpless adulation for five years. I am holding him back by suppressing his will. But if you kill me, that control stops. And in considerably less time than you could move your blaster, let alone your will, he would kill you. If you turn to him, you will not be quick enough to turn again to stop me. So throw down your blaster and you can have Pritcher back. So, I miscalculated your abilities, Janice. It was a mistake to have a third party here when I confronted you. It introduced one variable too many. A mistake that must be paid for. What about Pritcher? What about him? He is not important. He is an instrument, that is all. I did not know the second foundation was humanitarian. There are many things you did not know. Will he survive? Yes. His sleep is largely protected. Once he wakes up, he'll begin to function again. Slowly. You still seem... Confident, Mule. <laughs> you are defeated, Mule. You really thought you had achieved something, didn't you, when you conquered the first foundation? The first foundation is like Pritcher here, just an instrument. The sole guardian of the Selden plan is the second foundation, us, only us. Janice, I am not interested in Selden, his plan, or the intended purpose of the second foundation. Only one thing interests me or amuses me. You should speak of the second foundation in the past tense now, because it no longer exists. I know you're playing for time here, waiting for your allies to arrive, but they will not be coming, Janice. Nobody will be coming here to help you. You are bluffing, Mule. I do not bluff. I take action. Did you think I was following you alone? Really, Janice, how naive. My entire fleet was with me until a few hours ago. I came here, they went to Tazenda. A few minutes ago, the planet of Tazenda was entirely obliterated. No trace of life was allowed to remain. The second foundation no longer exists. No. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Oh, yes. I promise you. Janice, you are pretending again. Janice, you're faking. I can tell. I can tell. Tazenda is destroyed, and yet your despair is not real. Janice, what is the truth? Tell me, tell me the truth, Janice. What is the truth? Talk, 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 talk. The truth is 
that you have destroyed an innocent world, Neil. You have murdered millions of people for nothing. Tazenda was a decoy, a figurehead. The true second foundationers were never the obvious holders of power. Rossum is the word of the second foundation. Rossum, not Tazenda. You are telling the truth. Yes, you are telling the truth. At last. Rossum is the world. Rossum! Yes, I believe you this time. But did you really think you could fool me for long? You were fooled. But not for long enough, Chanis. My fleet has contingency orders. After destroying Tazenda, they will now be in orbit around Rossum. They can destroy this world as easily as any other. No, no, I... No, no, no. Yes, Chanis. Yes. Oh. 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 I am the first guardian of the second foundation. It took time to penetrate your emotional repulse field. I congratulate you on the skill of its construction. You are alone? Quite alone. Have you too come to test my brain? You see how your agent Chanis tried and failed. He did not fail. He performed well, especially since he was not your mental equal. And you are my equal? I am. I see you have mistreated poor Chanis. I hope we can still restore him to health. He volunteered for his mission, you know. Although we were able to predict mathematically the great likelihood of damage to mind and spirit. So Chanis was a brave man. But he didn't achieve anything. You know I have destroyed Tazenda. I bitterly regret the necessity of it. You know that my ships are now in orbit around Rossum with orders to blast the whole planet except for this tiny area unless I receive your surrender. My evaluation of you was inaccurate in one respect. Even when I knew you were a mutant, I failed to realize what a pathetic creature you were. How you were driven on by your terrible feeling of inferiority. It did not occur to me to pity you at first. Now, of course, I do pity you. Poor megalomaniac, so starved of affection and love. Do you really think you can blast the galaxy into loving you? Do you really think the controlled loyalty of converted minds can ever compare to true affection? Freely felt. I do not need affection. I do not need love. I have power. I control. I conquer. Yes, but how miserable you are. Aren't you, you? Of course, the fact that you're an emotional cripple is not to be condemned. Merely changed, cured. I cannot give you physical well-being, I'm afraid. But emotionally, you can be healed. 
Believe me, Mule, we will help you to be happier. You talk of helping me. I am about to destroy the second foundation. My fleet is about to destroy Rossum. Yes, you can destroy Rossum. But the second foundation is not on Rossum. You deny the truth. Chanis said it was there, and he spoke the truth. Yes, the truth as he believed it to be. I stripped his brain. I saw it was the truth. Yes, the truth as Chanis knew it. But when he volunteered for his mission, he not only accepted the risk to his life, he accepted the most drastic emotional and mental surgery. His character, his ideas, and his memory were replaced by synthetic models. Janice himself honestly believes Rossum is the second foundation. He believes he was born here, and that his family and everything he values is here. Then Rossum is not the second foundation. Do you think we would ever risk the second foundation for you? We took some risks, Mew, but we are not insane. The second foundationers who were here acting as drunken governors or simple village elders, have left the planet. While your ships were busy with the massacre of Tazenda, second foundationers were already on their way to your home planet, Kalgan. It is too late for you to catch them now. But do not worry. They are not going to destroy anything at all, except your emotional control over the people of your empire. Within a matter of days, or even hours, there will be no mind controlled by the mule. Everyone will be a free thinker again. At least insofar as the normal human brain is ever able to think freely. I think you can abandon your dreams of galactic empire. <laughs> Do not cry. You should be glad. It was all something of a nightmare, even for you. And we have no interest in revenge or in your death. I'm afraid your body is not very strong. But at least you can live out what years you have left as an ordinary provincial lord. We are going to return you to Calgan and allow you to govern there. You will be greatly helped by a course of emotional medicine conducted by one of our finest doctors. In a very short time, you will no longer feel any need to conquer the galaxy. Nobody will ridicule you. Nobody will have any recollection of your former powers, and neither will you. Neither will you retain any memory of the Second Foundation. Now, are you ready to leave for your new life back on Calgan? I... I am... 
Yes. Now, Mule, look into my eyes. Look deep. Look. <sighs> Very well. You may leave now. Yes. Back to Calgan? Certainly. How do you feel? Me? Excellent. Who are you? No matter. Now wake Pritcher and take him with you. He will need care and attention. He's been badly hurt. But he has no memory of emotional control. And therefore no desire for revenge. Revenge? For what? Never mind. Just go with him. Yes. Come on, Pritchard. Wake up. We are going home. Everything's all right. We're going. We're going home. Janice? Mm. Janice, how do you feel? Uh, oh, weak. Weak. Yes, that is to be expected. Do not worry about anything now. We will soon have you back to full health and with your own feelings and memory back again. I... I... Is it true that Rossum is not the second foundation? Not my home? Quite true. You had never been here before this visit. I am taking you back to our real home now. You will soon be back on the real second foundation with your family and friends. You will have your genuine memories back. Can we be sure that the mule will never remember? Quite sure. The mule will never even conceive the idea of a second foundation. Our problem in the future will not be the mule. The real problem we will face will be the first foundation. But why? The first foundation is now free again from the mule. I'm afraid that unlike him, their minds will be aware of the second foundation and the part we played in stopping the mule. We were to remain hidden until the time came for Selden's plan to reach fruition. We have had to come out of hiding because of the mule. Now our problem will be how to become hidden again. How to stop the first foundation becoming dependent on us without causing them too much damage. It will be for your generation of guardians to solve that problem, Janice. When your mind is whole again. <laughs> Foundation. Foundation and Empire. Second Foundation. Author, Isaac Asimov. 
Audio adaptation, Mike Stott. Part number seven. Part title, The New Funds. Thank you for listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's shows. Visit our website at www.strangerspilgrims.com.